This program is sponsored by Wilsey Asset Management. Welcome to your commercial-free, uninterrupted investment show. Sponsored by the SEC-registered investment firm, Wilsey Asset Management, a fiduciary firm owned and operated by President Brent Wilsey, who has been putting clients' investment needs first for over 40 years. The Smart Investing Show has been giving unbiased financial information for over 27 years on local radio stations right here in San Diego, providing you with fundamental analysis on stocks and investments you want to know about. Now, here are your hosts... Brent and Chase Wilsey. Well, good morning and welcome to the Smart Investing Show. This is actually Chase Wilsey. Uh, Brent Wilsey's uh, taking a little bathroom break. He'll be he'll be with us shortly here, but uh, getting ready to kick off the show here as we wait for Brent. As always, we're going to get started with uh, you know a little bit of what's going on in the world. We'll have a little conversation around that, and then after about 15, 20 minutes, around eight fifteen, eight twenty. As always, your calls do come first. You want to call in, that phone number is 866-577-2473. Again, that's 866-577-2473. And that'll get you through for the next about two hours of that unbiased, no strings attached, fundamental fundamental opinion about what you want to talk about. Well, getting started here today, I uh, got some things we want to talk about, discuss here. To start, we're, we're going to talk about the employment situation. Uh, we have gotten, of course, the first jobs report of the month, but that came out earlier this year. Next up, we always like to see the JOLTS report. Now, the JOLTS report, that stands for the Job Opening and Labor Turnover Survey. gives you a great idea of hiring, firing, also, what job openings are out there in the economy? It's just a great report that we like to look at here. And according to the recent JOLTS report, total job openings increased in the month of December to 6.65 million. So you hear all this negative news out there. Oh my gosh, the economy's terrible. There's no jobs out there. Well, yes, there are actually jobs out there. In fact, over 6 million jobs in the month of December. I think that's just fantastic news. And, uh, now we have Brent joining us here, so I'll yes. let you chime in on that that statistic there. A <laughs> little, little bit of tech, uh, technical problems this morning, so uh, we made it through it. But, uh, yeah, I am here. And, uh, yeah, you started with the jolts, which is such a, uh, an important thing. And I just don't get it. I mean, what was the number again? 6.4? 6.65. million jobs opening. Could it be, Chase, that maybe some people say, hmm, should I just sit home and collect about as much money as I'd make if I was working? What do you think? Yeah, you know, I I think that is something that is weighing on people. I mean, if you're making about what you were working, not working, what are you going to take? I know. I I think I would actually. I don't know. I'd get bored not working. But <laughs> <laughs> now, kind of off topic here. But gosh, I it, it just talking about it made me realize. I was reading this article this week, and uh, I'll probably do a post around it. Uh, might also do a TV segment on it. But there's estimated to be about $50 billion worth of taxes owed on oh, unemployment yeah. Yeah. because people don't realize that it's taxable. I mean, yes, you still get your standard deduction, things of that nature when you file your taxes. But above certain thresholds, you do owe federal tax on it. Here in the state of California, they don't tax unemployment. I'm not quite sure, though, on the additional unemployment that you're getting from the federal government. Is that taxable in California? It's something you got you got to understand because you might get hit with a tax bill might be spending all that unemployment money, and all of a sudden you get a, a bill from Uncle Sam. I don't have any money to pay the tax. <laughs> it's going to be a problem. But uh, and, yeah. and, and again, I'm glad you brought that up. And again, if you have friends that are on unemployment, uh, friends, relatives, whoever, neighbors, 
be sure to tell them that because it is going to be a shock when like, well, what do you mean? Because that's going to be a problem as well. Well, now I don't have the money to pay the tax because I spent it on, uh, I'll say maybe things they should have spent on, realizing that they got to put something away for taxes. So I'm glad you brought that up because there are things going on uh, like that that people are going to be shocked with, uh, so forth. But maybe should they, maybe they should get a job. I know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, kind of speaking uh, as well about the, the situation, uh, I mean, I'm not surprised here. I mean, this, this number was phenomenal when you think about the 6 million job openings as well. Because mm-hmm. think about the hospitality sac- sector. I mean, that continues to weigh on the overall employment picture. As Even though total openings increased, hospitality actually saw a decline of 127,000 openings. Hirings was also weighed down by the sector as overall hiring fell 400,000 to 5.54 million, with the hospitality sector pretty much occupying all that decline with more than 300,000 in the month. So, I mean... I'm not surprised here. In the month of December, yeah. we shut things down in California. And this is a December report. This is a December exactly. report because like, oh, Jolts yeah. does lag slightly. Lags bit, yeah. But I mean, it's just, it's so funny because it's like, well, are you surprised? You can't open your restaurant. Are you supposed to be looking for workers <laughs> if you're not even open? I mean, it's- and, and, and some of those workers that work at restaurants, they love their job. They want to go back there. So they're being as patient as they can. But we should see that turn around in Jan- January, February, March. Uh, I, I think even New York is now open, what, 25% for indoor dining, which uh, they're still complaining about. Mm-hmm. But still in all, it's just like that is going to start changing things going forward. Um, and it's no magical thing. You, Gosh, what a smart thing. You open the economy, people can work again. So we'll see those numbers uh, increase as well for the positive side. Yeah, and I, I, I am excited about that. And uh, another kind of positive note here as well in the report was the, the amount of quits in the mm-hmm. economy rose 106,000 to 3.3 million. And people are, why is it good if people are quitting their jobs? <laughs> it, it's generally seen as a positive, and COVID might have a little bit of a skew on this. Yeah. Uh, go, oh my gosh, I'm so scared I can't go to work. So- I, I think that's done. I, I, I think most people now, back in March, April, June of last year, maybe that was concerned. But I just don't think there's that many people now that are concerned with COVID. I think people are really quitting because, like, I'm, I'm going to quit because I can get a better job. Um, but, yeah, I, I think – and I run into more and more people say, I'm over this COVID thing. I'm over this COVID thing. There's, I think less people are, are quitting because they're concerned about getting COVID at work. That's just my opinion. Yeah, and, and as you brought up, I mean, that's why we generally look at quits as a, a positive indicator because it's people – well, you're not going to quit your job, maybe uproot your family, do something completely different unless it's maybe a better opportunity. Maybe it's the same pay in a different area you want to go into, yeah. but that improves your life quality or it's a similar job with higher pay. So generally, it's a, a positive indicator of how people are feeling about the economy. You know, people in 2008, 2009 during the financial crisis, they weren't quitting their jobs because no, there weren't no. many jobs out there. I'll tell you that right now. Exactly. There's... And, and again, we always talk about how there's $20 trillion sitting in liquid money out there. Uh, there's money to be borrowed. And actually, people are paying down their debt is another thing. And, and I, I talk about this before. We're kind of getting off track. We'll get back on track in a second. But what happens in our, our, our economy here is that many times debt rolls from business to the individual to the government. Right now, the government's picking up a lot of debt uh, that will kind of roll eventually, I think, back to the individual and the businesses. Because businesses and individuals paying off a lot of debt with the extra money that they have. Yeah. So, well, well, let's move on to the youthful generation of traders. Uh, I was told by the statistic I saw from Schwab yesterday, uh, and now majority of new customers are signing up for trading tools, which you'll never, ever hear on this show, uh, which is up from 20% in 2016. 
And uh, this shows that the crowd uh, is trying to get rich quick by trading stocks. And this is something that we, and I, I've been doing the Smart Investing Show for, gosh, what, 27, 28 years, uh, have continually talked about trading is not the way to go. And there's always going to be that hot, you know, flash in the pan, or you did well for a year or two, maybe you did well for five years. But eventually the fundamentals do come in and trading, and this worries us because trading like this, it's going to sour I think a lot of young investors. Yeah, did you give the age statistic yet, or just? I did of, not. Okay, yeah. yeah. So I mean, it, it is crazy. Well, it's older people too. I mean, actually, if you look at a lot of you know Schwab's new customers, they're actually under the age of forty-one. About half of them mm-hmm. are in the age of forty-one, and, and we've talked about this in the past. And it, it, it is kind of scary to, oh well, it's great because my son, my daughter, they're they're getting involved in the stock market. Isn't that a positive? And I see financial pundits say that all the time as well. Well, I think it's good that people are getting. I think it's a nightmare. I mean, I think it's, well, I'm not going to say a nightmare. I, I, we've talked about this as well, is the positive sign is people aren't going to learn from their mistakes until they make those mistakes. Right. Unfortunately, you know, people that are buying, I made millions off GameStop. I know what I'm doing. They're going to have to lose before they realize that what they did wasn't really any skill. It was truly luck. Things need to kind of yep. come back to reality, and these need, people need to get burnt. But the problem is it's going to create a group of people that, oh, well, it's not my fault. It's the stock market's fault. The stock market's risky. <laughs> That's what concerns us is I think we are going to see – I said this as well. I, I think we're in the middle of a, a tech boom 2.0 where there's yep. all this craziness going on. And, I mean, the valuations on the market now, they're very, very frothy. You can't deny the trading at, what, 26 times earnings? That, that's not inexpensive by any means. I mean, that, that's very pricey. But, but wait a minute. There's something else more expensive, so therefore that's a good <laughs> price. And, and that's the, the, the logic they use, which is terrible. Well, during the tech boom, it went to 30 times future earnings, so why can't we get there? So, I mean, that's what I, I think we could get some more kind of craziness in the market like we saw during the tech boom. And then all of a sudden it's going to fall out as we've seen with the Nifty 50, right? the tech boom and bust. I mean, we've seen it time and time again. And people... We'll blame the stock market, and the funny thing is maybe 10 years later, they'll get back in doing the same things, right. and they'll get burned right. again. They'll get burned again. And, and I do want to bring up, too, I mean, and I've been doing this for 40 years now, um, I, I hear from people, oh, the stock market is just a gamble. And I say, no, it's not. It's not a gamble if you know what you're doing. And we always say it's not a stock market, but a market of stocks. And you have, an, as an individual, the time. Maybe you don't have the time, but you should be taking the time to go in and find good quality businesses and not play the hype game. By the way, is GameStop still 500? I don't think so. Not 50. <laughs> so, yeah, it's not Take a zero away. <laughs> right, take a zero away. Uh, and that's the problem is that they, 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 they do these silly things and then they say, oh, stocks are guess, you know risky and you're going to lose your money. And, and, and again, I've been doing this again and I've shown so many people that come through like, oh, stocks are risky. You even see it where people, oh, stocks are risky. They are not risky. They're volatile. But people don't get the difference of buying a GameStop at 500 versus investing in a solid business that's uh, priced at nine times earnings. You know, that's such a great point. And it's it's hard to convey that to people is, you know, buying the non-sexy companies, mm-hmm. you know, the food companies, the banks. It's it's you're not going to make the returns you had on GameStop. That That's just the truth of the matter. I, I would love to sit here and tell you that, yes, J.P. Morgan Chase is going to go up to a thousand dollars a share. That's not going to happen, which is, you know, just the reality of investing. But, hey, you're collecting a nice dividend. you got a good, solid company there as well. 
and you can do well over the long term. And well means doing about eight to ten percent on average per year. Right. You're, but the thing is, you're not going to make two hundred percent and then lose sixty percent. And the problem is, when you make that two hundred percent, you don't need to lose two hundred percent to get back to where you were. You just need to lose. I, I don't have the numbers off the top of my head. Let's just make it simple. Let's say you make hundred percent. If you lose 50%, you're back to where you started. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, people don't understand how the compounding works. And, you know, I, I, we, we had a conversation with a client yesterday talking about, well, things drop so quickly. And, and that's the thing that happens with good businesses. They can still drop. But he's like, I didn't realize how quickly things can come back. Mm-hmm. When you have the right businesses, they can get lumped in with, you know, the craziness of the market. Oh, my gosh, things are falling. I better sell out of everything. You get the good, solid companies falling as well, but then the, the right companies come back. GameStop, for example, is not going to go back to 480 I think, ever. I think it is capped out. Oh, it will on, never Chase, touch $480 yeah. <laughs> a share again. So that's the thing is the wrong companies, they'll go up, and then they'll go down, and they'll never come back, or they'll take years to come back, where the good, solid companies, they'll go down 10 maybe 20 maybe even 30%, but they'll come back over time. And you just have to be patient and understand the valuations of your businesses, which is why we look at the companies we own. Yeah, and, and the numbers are fun. And, and I don't know, know exactly where it stands now because it has come down somewhat. But there was one point when Tesla, if it went back to where it started the beginning of last year, because now we're flipping into a new year, um, you'd lose 80% of your investment um, just yeah. to get back to where it was. And people don't realize that. that oh, it's not going to do it. could very easily do that. And, and again, I'm not going to say it's going to do it tomorrow. But these are the things that people do not understand how money works, how compounding works, and I will call it reverse compounding works. Uh, Things can be very crazy. Um, And again, do not blame the stock market. The stock market can be a risky place uh, if you you treat it like uh, Vegas and you you go in there and you gamble and you buy something just because everybody else is buying it and Reddit says, oh, buy this. Well, that's crowd investing. The thing is, it works great going up, but when things turn around, they say, okay, let's leave. The opposite happens, and that will drop like a rock, and you'll lose all your, your investment. You know, when you were kind of speaking there, I was thinking of uh, David Portnoy, who is yeah. the CEO and founder of Barstool Sports. Uh, he's been quite popular now on, I'm not going to say investing, but trading. Right. Um, but it's funny, you know, he bought AMC, and I think he put like 700000 and I'm pretty sure he's down substantially on it. But the thing is, I don't think he was looking at AMC saying like, oh, this is going to be a great long-term. He knew that he was going into it gambling, gambling. on it. Yeah. And I'm not saying that's, you know, the right thing to do. But if you want to gamble, go ahead. Be my guest. But don't complain when you lose it. It's like going to Vegas, playing blackjack, and losing all your money. You're not going to be like, oh, well, you know, I thought I was a safe investment to be playing blackjack. (laughs) (laughs) That is a good analogy because, yeah. Uh, and, and Bitcoin is not a safe investment. Uh, GameStop is not. And, and these are things that are going up dramatically. And that could should kind of warn you in the first place because nothing's going to do that forever. And we've seen this in history. So let's uh, talk about also, too, the whole GameStop thing. That was something that, oh, the little guy is beating up the big guy. And this is great and so forth. Well, <laughs> kind of reversed on them. And they didn't really realize it. But one of the biggest benefactors from Reddit trading craziness was the Cost family and key corporate executives at Cost Corporation. Now, this was, uh, I think they do headphones, right? Is that what they do? Yeah, they're yeah. they're a, uh, I'm going to say a dinosaur. In the, the I mean, they're, they've are they just been displaced by Beats and Apple yeah. and, you know, the Sony headphones. I, I had never even heard of this yeah. company until this craziness in the stock market. <laughs> and, and what's funny is the company's stock started the year at around $3 a share, and during the craziness uh, just a few weeks ago, 
the high reached was what, what was that like one something? One twenty seven forty five. Three dollars <laughs> to one twenty seven forty five. Again, another crazy company that made absolutely no sense. There was no future growth in headphones. It's not like they came out with this like virtual reality type right. product that was gonna be huge. Nothing changed on the business fundamentally other than the the Reddit bros and the Wall Street bets and things of that nature. Uh, but during the huge stock swings, various insiders like the Cost family, those key executives, started selling stock and made more than $45 million on their transactions. Now, the crazy thing about that is the company insiders, they didn't sell out at $127.45. They actually started selling their shares between 20 and 60 and that's where most of them were sold, according to SEC filings. What does that tell you? If, if they're selling at 20 to 60 like, oh my gosh, is, is this really happening right now <laughs> our company is not worth this amount they're, they're, they're probably sitting in their offices like just laughing like this is so ridiculous we gotta sell because yeah. <laughs> it's not gonna last <laughs> and the other insane part is that 45 million dollars is more the entire market cap of the company at the end of 2020 <laughs> so. <laughs> so 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 the insiders and the executives made more than what the entire entire value was before and that everybody uh, now they did that, which is just amazing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's just another example of how an outdated, overpriced company made no sense trading at those extreme levels. Uh, you know, and it, I always say if the family and key executives do not have faith in the company at those prices, why in the world should anybody else be buying it? If even the family and the people that are running the business are like, wow, this is not where we should be at <laughs> yeah, at all. Yeah. And they're taking profits and substantial profits. That should be a red flag, a huge indicator there. And just as an update for people, cost was trading yesterday at about $15 a share. Oh, so the executives and the insiders made some good decisions selling at 20 to, what was it, 60 or whatever it was, yeah. uh, where other people. And, and again, I know uh, Pointnoy there, I think he uh, he did uh, buy uh, AMC, I think it was like 750 a share, now it's at 5 But you're right. I mean, he knew he was gambling. These executives, these owners of the business, they knew, like, this is ridiculous. Unfortunately, the little guy who wants to make a, a big hit, he gets burned. And I have told people, you come very wealthy over time. Don't try to do it in, in a month, six months, even five years. You'll start that track. But if you try to be quick, uh, get rich quick, you're going to lose it. And, and, and what we've seen people with, you know, and, and I've met people. Yeah, at one point I had like a million dollars. What happened to it? I lost it all. And they were like 60, 65. It's because had they not gone that quick route and tried to do the crazy thing and get rich quick, and it just doesn't work. And I'm sorry, I make feel good at the time, but you're so right. Let's label that as gambling, not investing. Yeah, they're, so. they're two <clears throat> different things. And, you know, the, the sad thing as well, I saw this study that people buying GameStop, about half of them were first-time traders. And, <laughs> and it's... It's, again, setting this this kind of precedent that, oh, my gosh, this is so crazy. Like, I lost, you know, all this money, and I'm 25 years old, and, you know, this is how investing works. I don't want any right. part of that. I, I, I heard Bitcoin's doing really well, so now I'll go do that, and then I'll use it there. And then they'll just be burned and, and just start saving everything in cash. Yeah. <laughs> and I do want to talk about that, but I do want to go to the phone numbers because we're going to open the lines in just a couple minutes. So if you want to call in, be first up. Uh, you got a question of stock you own, want that unbiased, no strings attached, formal opinion, or you have other investment question as well, we take those also. 866-577-2473. That's 
877-247-2473. One person that I think has kind of replaced the Reddit crowd um, has been Elon Musk. I mean, he, he talked about Bitcoin and and uh, there's something else. Dogecoin. Dogecoin, yes. And, and again, he speaks. And again, he is a very, very smart guy. He's done some great things. But I, I think the SEC needs to kind of be careful with that there and kind of look at him because when he speaks, he's kind of like E.F. Hunting. When he speaks, people are listening. And unfortunately, he has the money to lose. I think he invested, what, $1.5 billion or something? In- well, he invested $1.5 billion of Tesla shareholders. <laughs> That's right. I, I, I was speaking. I was remembering that. Um, but again, he can he could lose a billion dollars. What's he worth? 200, 300 billion now, whatever. I'm always richer than uh, Warren Buffett last time I heard. Yeah, you yeah. Know? So, so he's very wealthy. But people listen to him and then they take their money. Well, he did it, you know, and so he's rich. And then we say this thing, follow the wealthy. One thing I have seen from truly wealthy people is that they built their wealth over time. They didn't do it with a quick hit. They did it over time. Uh, and again, Elon Musk, he probably started doing this, what, 20, 30 years ago, probably. Yeah. Um, and and uh, so just because he's talking now, you got to be careful listening to him on what he's saying, um, because it's not going to be good. You've got to do the slow process. And we always say if we do 8, 10, maybe 12% per year on average, we're thrilled with that type of return, because that will compound and double about once every 7 to 10 years. What a great thing to do. But we're not going to make you rich, you know, next week, next month, even next year. Yeah. So. Absolutely. And I, I was going to add too. I mean, um, just kind of talking about how quickly things can move. I think the problem is a lot of people don't realize how the stock market actually works. Anytime you're selling or buying a stock, <laughs> right. there needs to be somebody on the other end selling or buying that stock. So let's just use again GameStop as an example. When I was at $480 a share, you get all excited. Wow, it's at 480 I better sell. Well, if there's nobody else out there that wants to buy it at $480 a share, and let's say you use a market order, the next person out there, let's say I'll buy it at $400, and there's nobody else that wants to buy it higher than $400, it goes from $480 down to $400 because it's based off of matching the buyers and the sellers. It's not like there's some fictitious person out there that's like, oh, (laughs) they're building it higher and higher. There is somebody else out there. And, and that's what happens is there's a winner and a loser on every single trade. Yeah. And, and actually, I think it is the quickest auction market in the world. It happens so quickly. And that's what it is. It's an auction market where you got a, a thing you want to sell. Uh, where's the other buyer? They're going to find it. Same thing. You go to the auction and they're going to, but it takes much longer at the auction to, to do it because the bids and so forth. But that's really how the stock market is, an auction market. And if you've got a company that is, is hot, it's going to go up. But when it turns cold, it's going to drop because nobody else wants it. And you got to find that buyer. That says, yeah, I'll give you this price. Well, that's not what it was worth. Well, sorry. That's the price today. I just got this vision in my head of an auctioneer. I'm going, 480, who, 480? Nope, 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 460. Nope, nope, okay, 440. And it's just going quickly. And it's, it's again, nobody raises their hand to buy yeah, it. It's yeah. going to keep dropping and dropping until yeah. there's somebody else out there that will buy it at, a, at the next available price. Right. And, and that's why it's so important. You know, here at the Smart Investing Show, here at our company, we'll see asset management. We buy and own and invest in good, solid businesses that do very well over time. And, and there's a story I would love to tell about a uh, client that had, had, uh, the, he was a grandfather. His grandson uh, came over to me back, I think, like 1998. I can't give the numbers because I'll get in trouble by the SEC. But he invested, um, lost during the Great Recession, lost a fair amount of money, called in to cancel, like, oh, I need to sell, I need to sell. I said, no, do not, do, do not sell, do not sell. Uh, and then he called me, I think it was last week he called me, and he told me how much, and I, you know, 
didn't really realize, but how much he would have wanted to sell so bad. I talked him out of it because I said, no, you own these companies. I would love to tell people what his return has been, but I can't do that. Now, if, again, if you want to have a private conversation, I can tell you, because it's just a phenomenal story. And it talks and it tells you that going long term with the right businesses, you can do very well. But we're talking, he started investing, what, 22, 24 years ago, I guess it was when he's 18. He's now, he's now a man in his 40s. Um, <clears throat> but uh, it's just something that it shows you that long term you do very well. And he was kind of shocked, like, wow, I've got a lot of money now just because I didn't cash out. I said, exactly. Yeah, so. and, and that's the big thing you talk about the companies <clears throat> is you're not owning these stock market tickers. I mean, that, that's where people start to, to lose is they, they worry about that. When you understand the value of a company, understand they have low debt, you aren't going to panic. I mean, we always talk about, you know, comparing it to real estate because people think real estate's so safe and they think it, it's so safe because they would never consider selling their home at a fire sale. Right. Said, oh, my home's worth way more than that. <laughs> okay, so you won't sell it. It's the same thing when stocks go down. It just happens much quicker, and it's much more visible. It's much more in your face because you can go online very quickly and check your stock portfolio where I don't need to check the price of my home today. Right. But the point is, is if you look at it as a business saying, my business is not worth $10 a share. It's really worth $20 a share based off the fundamentals, evaluations. You're not going to sell. It's like, wow, that's crazy to sell. Yep. Exactly. But when you take that point of view of, oh, my gosh, things are going crazy. I better sell and get out. You remove that understanding of the businesses. That's when you make that emotional decision. That's when you cash in at a terrible, terrible time. I mean, as I said, with stocks, real estate, if you cash out at a bad time or you buy at a high time, it doesn't matter what you're buying. It's going to hurt you in the long term. Exactly. All right. Phone numbers. All lines are open. 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. And as always, it'll get true for your unbiased, no strings attached, fundamental opinion about what you want to talk about. And Chase, one thing I do want to talk about right now is solar. Uh, and again, solar is something that is in high demand right now. And, and I use this guy. He's a client of ours. He did my, my solar. His name is Clay. Uh, he owns Clay Coal Electric. He has some great prices on solar. Why? Because there's no middleman there. You're going straightly to the guy that installs the uh, solar. I uh, got a few calls uh, last week because people said, yeah, I want to compare. You got to compare this guy because he's going to th- blow the other ones out of the water price-wise. And solar is still a good thing to get because it is it is free energy. I mean, I, I think the house you're moving to has solar, right? Oh, yeah. Very excited about it. Yeah, very excited about it. Well, my current house has solar, and I was worried uh, when I'm moving out uh, that my new house was going to have solar, and I was going to have a big electric bill again. But luckily, the new one has solar, so it's a win-win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, my house does not have solar on it, my new house. Uh, so, <laughs> And again, I sold my house, and I'm now renting because I am concerned about the real estate market. But if you have a home you love living and you want a big reduction— Get solar. But what you got to do is call my friend Clay. He's at Clayco Electric. That's his company. He is going directly to the guy that's going to install the solar for you. No middleman making a big sales commission. His number, 619-971-2799. Again, that's 619-971-2799. And he's not paying me to do these promotions. I'm doing them because I want to help uh, people out to get a good deal on solar. I've seen uh, what I paid for my solar was half what some other people paid on these. High, you get these these high flying companies, and oh yeah, and it's like wow, that's expensive. Call Clay. Oh, not even close. Yeah. So, all right. Phone numbers eight six six five seven seven two four seven three. That's eight six six 
877-247-2473. Let's go out to San Diego and speak with Rico. Rico, you're on the Smart Invest Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Yeah, I, I was uh, wondering about that Bitcoin. Yes, yes. Now, do you hold it, looking at buying it? What, what do you think of that, Rico? Well, I, I just want to get your point of view. You guys talk about get rich quick and long-term investing. And, you know, it seems like that Bitcoin is uh, more of that long-term, even though you might get rich right now. But when you really talk about long-term, it sounds like Bitcoin's going to be much more of a better investment long term. What are your thoughts on that? Well, and, and that is what they've kind of created. And the marketing for Bitcoin has been phenomenal because they make you feel that Bitcoin is going to replace the dollar, replace everything else. The problem with Bitcoin. Well, no, I'm not. Well, I'm not necessarily saying that. Right. I just, you know, the dollar, we, we know how that's going right now. Mm -hmm. uh, they just, they, they, they print it out. As they feel, and that's not marketing. That's just the truth. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but but and they, Bitcoin, they've only made so many. Uh, it's it's new age kind of thing. I'm curious how. It's not the marketing, you know. It kind of started grassroots. It's not like it's a. No one's profiting from marketing it. Uh, well, I don't know. What are your thoughts? Well, my thoughts are, and again, and that's the other thing people say, and I've seen this before where people create all these reasons why. Bitcoin, yes, it is limited on what they can supply, but there's other cryptocurrencies as well that can take away from the Bitcoin. There's what now? Deutsch? Dogecoin, Dogecoin. Ethereum, <clears throat> Litecoin. I mean, there's all these ones I think there's like there. 800 different cryptocurrencies, and that's what I get worried about. Eventually, people are going to say, well, I'm not going to buy any more Bitcoin because I can get Dogecoin or this one. That's doing better now. Uh, there's nothing backing Bitcoin. Uh, as opposed to the dollar, yes, they are creating more dollars, but it's backed by the taxing authority of the United States government, and that's how they can back that up and do that. So the dollar will not, you know, disappear. But Bitcoin, and there's so many things with Bitcoin that we've talked about in the past here, Rico. Where Bitcoin, if you lose your password, sorry, if you after ten times can't remember it, you can never get your Bitcoin back. I mean, that's not even my big problem with Bitcoin. My big problem well, with Bitcoin is. Your Wells Fargo account, you forget your account, your, your ATM, you, you lose your card, someone steal your card. I mean, of course, yeah, if you're irresponsible, yeah, of course you're going to lose your money. But you That's have somebody different. to talk to to get the problem fixed. Bitcoin, there's nobody to talk to. But my big problem with yeah, Bitcoin they're gonna, is... they're going to send you over to a, 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 a chat specialist over in the Philippines. I mean, come on. <laughs> well, you know how it is. We, we can disagree on that a little bit, but there's still somebody to talk to. But my big problem with Bitcoin is not even what Brent's discussing here. My big problem is... What in the world is Bitcoin trying to replace? Is it the dollar? Well, let me ask you this. Is buying a dollar and holding dollars under your mattress, is that a great investment? No. So if the Bitcoin was supposed to be like the dollar in the future, why in the world would anybody want to invest in Bitcoin? Well, now we hear Bitcoin is like digital gold. I think. Well, but that's kind of like saying, hey, why would anyone want to use the World Wide Web when we got newspapers? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm not really following you there, Rico, because it, it's, yeah, that, that's, that's, a, that's completely different because it's supposed to How's be. That different? Because it, it, no, because, because a, a cryptocurrency, is my point is, what is the purpose of it? And, and 50 years from now, are we going to well, all you just tell me what the purpose of the dollar is? The, do the purpose that the purpose of the dollar is to transact goods. So I go out to the store and I'm going to use use it to buy different things, but you're not going to use the dollar as an investment. So that's right. the issue with it is it's 
it's no not really a, a purpose that, that I can really justify as an investment. Yeah, and, and Rico, and that's what you're kind of, we kind of got off track a little bit because you're talking about it as an investment. And I'm telling people, if you want to buy some Bitcoin, go ahead and do it. You can use a Grayscale and get, you know, it's an ETF and do it and so forth. Um, but it is, we talk about as a gamble. And maybe long term it is there. I don't think it will be. And in my portfolio, I never buy anything from my clients or recommend anything from my clients and it's not in my own personal portfolio that I would recommend. So I do tell people, hey, Bitcoin could go to $100,000. Congratulations. It could also go to zero as well. Uh, and, 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 and actually, Brandon just put it up for me that there's, what, 4,000 cryptocurrencies now that you can go into. So it's not exclusive, that whole thing. Well, I uh, wasn't talking about crypto. But, but, but that is what Bitcoin you know, is in. That, that is what Bitcoin's in. So, they so, call them S-coins, I believe. Right. But, but that's uh, what I'm saying. There's a lot of different types for, of cryptos out there. So you know that's what, what the S stands for. Yeah. But I'm not talking about the S-coins. I'm talking about a Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah. And, and That's very specific. <laughs> right. You know, Rico, I, I think the, the best point I... Are you concerned I, that it might overtake the dollar and that's why you're so against it? Not at no, all. Not that at all. never happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, you know, it sounds like you might want to buy and, and go ahead and buy if you think it's the future. But, you know, I, I'm just telling you right now, I don't understand the purpose of Bitcoin. It, it makes absolutely... So you don't understand it. That's why you don't like it. Then, then, and no one can ever explain to me what it is, and that's yeah. the thing. No one really understands it because well, there's nothing. Well, they do have a white paper if you want to read that and take the time to read about it. And I have. And yeah. It still makes no sense. So we go. Yeah. We kind of got off track here. We got other calls here. So again, if you want to go out and buy some, you know, please go ahead and do that. You might do very well, but just be very careful because it is very risky, uh, and it's something that I've seen in my 40 years of doing this. That it's hot today, and tomorrow it's not. So, so be careful. Um, Another thing with the real estate, what's going on with that? It seems to be a bubbling like a bubble. And, and again, here in California, I would say that's correct because of all lot of over the country. Ah, not the all over the country. country. No, not the whole When country. everyone's struggling, not working, not making money, everything's closed, but yet everything's going up, stocks are going up. How is that possible? Well, Rico, I think, like, Rico, are you new to our show by chance? I am new. I was just going to pick up some donuts. And I <laughs> well, gosh, that sounds good. Uh, well, what you gonna do is keep listening to the show because, uh, again, we're here every Saturday from 8 to 10, and uh, we do talk about a lot of different things. So we'd love to hear from you again on different things. But kind of stay tuned to the show. Maybe even sign up for the newsletter that we have. Go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. Uh, again, that's smartinvesting2000. Well, I, I always wondered about that. I see you on the KUSI. Uh -huh. Why does it? Smart Investing 2000. You could was smartinvesting.com taken already? Uh, yes, it was, and I started this back in 2000, so it's now 22, <laughs> 21 years old. So that's when the 2000 came from, Rico. <laughs> well, thank you for Man. calling, Rico. Don't be a stranger, and uh, yeah, stay tuned to the show. Get the newsletter and uh, watch the KSI segment, and uh, we'll keep uh, keep trying to help you out here. Already. You guys want any donuts so I could drop them by? <laughs> you got chocolate with the cream filled? <laughs> oh, yeah. Got them all fair claws. <laughs> maybe, maybe that would be gay. When, when actually this whole COVID thing's over and you can actually do that, I would love to have that. You can't get in the building now because of all the craziness. But, uh, yeah, Rico. So that's why I wonder why all these businesses are going gangbusters when no one's doing business. <laughs> well, again. Sounds like false, false. False. Uh, that that sounds to me like uh, something that's not gonna gonna pan out. <laughs> well, and, and again, 
stay tuned to the show, get the newsletter because there are some businesses that do very well, some will not. So uh, we really appreciate you having uh, being part of the show here, Rico. So stay tuned with us. And uh, we'll try I'd, to help you out. I'd buy some Bitcoin if I were you, because uh, long term, <laughs> that might be worth a million dollars. I would not say no, but I'm not going to take that risk. I've, I've been doing this for too long. Might to say. as well. You know, you know, Jim Cramer said it's it's irresponsible to not own a little bit of Bitcoin. Well, I disagree with Jim Cramer many times over the years. And actually, there was a time back on CNBC. I was on CNBC, and I actually did fill. I've been on Jim Cramer's show twice. Wow. Well, congratulations. Yeah. So, all right, Rico, we got to go. Thank you for calling. Don't be a stranger. Already? Hey, uh, I'll bring you some donuts. Okay. We appreciate that. <laughs> Chocolate cream. <Yeah. laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs> all right. That does open up the phone line. 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. Let's head out to Coronado and speak with John. John, you're on the Smart Vessel. Brent Chase, how can we help you? Hi Brent. Tell you what, after last week, I went back and looked through, looked at uh, at that John Deere report, and uh, you know their business is very diversified, um, not only in agriculture but also a lot of uh, type of lawn care products, also oh, yeah. construction, and then also um, some equipment, you know, for like tearing up asphalt and redoing roads, things like that. I was gonna say uh, we we were just in the offices last week. And uh, yeah. they were tearing up the asphalt out front, um, right, right there. And I was like, "Hey, that's a, a John Deere right there." I, I thought that was mainly Caterpillar, but I was, I was kind of thought it was funny oh. after a call last week. <laughs> that's good, diversified company. What can you help you yeah. with today, John? You know, looking at another another stock that I've held for a long time in the agricultural space, and that's Archer Daniels Midlands ADM. Okay, and this is one that uh, we held years ago. We try to get back into it. I like this company. It's one of those simple, basic companies that does pretty well. So the company, again, is ADM or Archer Daniels Midland. ADM is a symbol. Uh, a good start here, John. The P.E. ratio, 17.7 versus 26 for the industry. Price to sales, 0.5 versus 1.5. Uh, so about a third of the industry there. Uh, price of book value, 2.1 versus not material for the industry. And price of cash for 11.2, that is below the industry at 17.1. Now, you get a pretty good dividend here, 2.7%. I say pretty good because the 10-year treasury is still about 1.1%. So 2.7% dividend, very good. And they only use 34% of their earnings to pay that out. Now, sales year over year, they are down 0.5%. The industry was up 1.4%. However, earnings per share for Archer Daniels Midland was up 25%. Uh, the industry is up 238 which is kind of a strange number there. The balance sheet, we got a current ratio of 5.5 versus 1.3. Debt to equity is a 49.6. That's below the industry at 74. Return on equity, 9 versus 10.5. I wish that was a little bit higher. Net profit margin checks in at 2.8. Half the industry at 5.6. And no receivable or inventory turnover. Chase, what do you got for the earnings going forward? Yeah, so current price here for Archer's Daniels Midland is $55.72. 52 week high, right near that is $55.77. And 52 week low, well, that's $28.92. I go out to December 2022. I do see estimated earnings per share of $3.95. Would give us a nice target sell price of $65.57. 
you know, one thing I like about this company is it, it just looks like it's got consistent earnings growth. It's not <clears> anything that's out of the, the ordinary, but, you know, last year they did 359. This year they're estimated at 386. Then the following year, 395. So good, stable, you know, earnings growth. I just had not, nothing like 20% a year right. or anything. But it's a good, fundamentally sound company. And the other thing, too, I don't know exactly what they do, but I was reading a conference call for one of our food companies, and they were talking about one of the big headwinds right now is going to be corn mm-hmm. and soybean prices and those types of crops that they've just skyrocketed in price lately. I, I'm curious if ADM is uh, benefiting from that. Uh, and they very well could be. And, and I remember years ago, that was their whole thing to, to make, to feed the world, to make it better uh, for food. And, and again, yep. at 55, 72, I wouldn't be stepping in to buy it now. Especially at a 52 week high. Yeah, 52 week high. Uh, you hold it, John. Mm-hmm. It is definitely a hold. But if somebody's yeah. looking at buying it, I say, yeah, I'd be a little patient here because you all know that uh, things are kind of high. Uh, this may drop, I don't know, 10, maybe 15%, creating a better buying opportunity. But I like this business. It's a good business. Uh, we do have business in our portfolio that we've held for 10, 12, 15 years. Uh, I could see this being one of those companies bought at the right price and just kind of ride the wave. And I'm sure, John, uh, you've experienced increasing dividends over the years. Is that correct? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. you got to love that, right? Well, you know, the, the interesting thing is when I look at my dividend growth over the life of my portfolio, um, it's spectacular. Yeah. And, you know, that that's one thing. I uh, I always reinvest all of those dividends. And, you know, I've got a great income stream from it. Yeah. And, and if you were to look at what you initially paid for the stock <clears throat> and what your dividend is now, your yield is probably very, very high. That's <clears throat> my, my guess. So. I, I'd say it's probably up around 8% yeah. or 9%. Yeah. yeah. And I tell people, you'll never have a bond do that, never have a bank do that, but when you own a business, as their earnings go up, they do share that with you, and you get a nice yield on your initial investment. So, yeah, definitely hold on to it, John. We like that company, and I do recommend other people look at it, but I think they'll get a better price on it. <clears throat> All righty? All right, super. Thanks, guys. All right, John, thanks for calling. Have a good one. Bye-bye. You know, this is actually one... Uh, little tidbit for a college here we, we looked at in the middle of the, the pandemic last year. It was a company we looked at, I, I want to say it was around $30 a share. And um, we didn't buy it, but it came down to this and another company. And right. I'm not going to tell you what the other company is, but I can tell you, i happy we chose the right one. It's gone up a lot more. I would have loved to have more available cash though, to buy a company like this back then because I, I think it is just a, a great business. We We were pretty close to this one last year. Uh, it was we narrowed it down to about three companies because we, we did have available cash during, you know, I, I would say the height of the pandemic. And uh, it was one <laughs> I would have loved to buy, as I said, but just didn't have the cash at the time. I can't think of what one you're talking about. I have to tell me after the show because I can't think I, of what it is. Apparel. Oh, OK. I think I know what you're talking about. <laughs> okay, Yes. Yes. All right. <laughs> and they will be returning that dividend as well. I, I hope so. Yeah, I believe so. So already uh, phone number is 866. 866- Five seven seven two four seven three. That's eight six six five seven seven two four seven three. Before we go to the next caller, let's talk about financial planning. And for that, we turn to Harrison Johnson, our financial planner at Wilsey Asset Management. Good morning, Harrison. How are you doing this morning? Good morning, guys. Doing well. How are you guys doing? We're doing great. Doing great. Just uh, taking the calls here and and uh, working away and. The show's uh, here. It's already eight forty-three. Yeah, I, I know. I was gonna say, like, wow, where the first forty-five minutes go? But um, I know you got some great topics here for us. And and uh, what are we talking about today, Harrison? So today I wanted to talk about life insurance as an investment. 
So wow. good topic. Yeah. <laughs> Very good topic. <laughs> Smart investing well, show. I, <laughs> well, that that's that's exactly why I wanted to talk about it. So I, um, as you guys know, I used to sell life insurance. I worked at MetLife. I worked at Mass Mutual. I was brokerage with some other smaller life insurance companies. So I'm I'm very familiar with you know the life insurance side of things. And I I kind of wanted to touch on that because. You know, sometimes I'll, I'll meet with clients or I'll, I'll meet with new new people who want to um, come in and meet with all of us. And they might have a life insurance policy that was sold to them or they might have somebody who's trying to sell them one. And I kind of wanted to explain the difference between what you hear and what the reality actually is. And so, you know, with with the life insurance as an investment, this is permanent life insurance. So this is universal life, whole life, um, index universal life, variable universal life, those types of things. Uh you know, you're you're told that you'll get a death benefit. Um, you'll get tax-free income in retirement. You might have a long-term care benefit rider. Uh, the cash value, if it's linked to an index or a mutual fund, it might grow at seven to eight percent. So, you know, all these things sound really good. You get all these benefits. You get this growth. Um, uh, but in reality, it, it really doesn't work out like that. Um, as I mentioned, you know, the death benefit, the retirement income, the long-term care benefit. You might find a policy that has all those things, but you don't really get all those things because if you start taking income from it, that reduces the death benefit and the long-term care benefit that you have, and vice versa. If you use some of the long-term care benefit, that reduces the death benefit. So you don't really get all three. You get to kind of choose some of them, and then it reduces the other one. So that's something um, to keep in mind. That's usually how they're structured. Also important with the cash value growth, it might be linked to an index that grows at seven to eight percent or something like that, uh, or at least historically uh, the index had done that. But that quote is um, shown before any cost of insurance is taken out, before admin fees are taken out, before policy expenses are taken out, and so best case the actual return might be two to three percent um and actually i've seen cases where that that overall return is negative when you compare the premiums put into the ending cash value that that's grown to um so you know that that is extremely misleading that a lot of people don't understand when they're buying these things uh some of the ways that these agents and brokers and advisors try to sell them is well, you have to pre-fund them or overfund these policies early so the cash value grows faster so then you can have more income. Um, what that might look like is you might have to commit to something like $1,000 a month for over 20 years. I just looked at somebody who that's exactly what they were dealing with. They had to pay all this money up front for an extremely long period of time. And the thing is, if during that 20, 25-year period, if you can't make that payment, then the cash value doesn't grow the way it's illustrated to, and then you run into income issues. Because at the end of the day, um, the way that the income works in retirement, the, the biggest benefit of these things is you're taking a loan from the policy and you're using the cash value as collateral. And so when you start doing that, you still have cost of insurance fees, which are now much higher because you're older, you still have admin fees that are costing the, the policy, you still have the policy expenses, now you're no longer putting premiums into it, so the cash value isn't growing because of that, um, and now you have this loan expense, which is also continuing to grow as you take more and more income. So if down the line, after taking income from these things, the policy runs out of cash value, which happens quite often. Uh, the policy lapses. And now you've got a problem because the income stops, 
you don't have any more cash in there. And in some cases, if there was a, a gain in the policy, all that deferred gain is now taxable at ordinary income rates, and you have no way to pay that tax. And, so, and, and, um, yeah. and here's and this is something that, uh, again, you're in our office, you're on a salary, you don't sell life insurance, you don't get commissions and so forth. The problem that a lot of people have is that they're sold these policies uh, and you did say it, and I'm so glad that we picked you up years ago because you were a waste in, in selling life insurance. I know you didn't really like it, um, but <laughs> the commissions on insurance, why don't you tell people what the commissions are when these quote-unquote investments that they're getting into are? Oh, it, I mean, it's, it's unbelievable how much money you can make. So usually what the scale looks like is you take the, the first-year premium of a, an insurance policy. So the one I mentioned was $1,000 a month, so that'd be $12,000 a year. So the person selling that policy would probably make anywhere between ten and fifteen thousand dollars from selling that one product. Uh, well, and no, so no, if you no, can do let's a make that of those things. Let, let's make that clear though, because you said they're gonna invest twelve thousand a year, but the commission the person's gonna earn is what? Probably between ten and fifteen thousand dollars. <laughs> okay, I just wanna make sure that people heard that. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it's an extreme amount of money. And so you know, if there there's people out there that are really good at selling these things and they make a lot of money, um, I had a problem with it just because I didn't believe in it. Actually, before I left um, those companies and I, I, before I quit, I was meeting with some clients um, that I had had a pretty good relationship with, and they were ready to sign on a policy like this because they trusted me. And at the end of it, I was like, you know what? you guys don't want to buy this. This isn't, this isn't a good deal for you. And I, I could have sold it. I could have made a commission on it and I could have, you know, could have made the money, but I, I couldn't convince them to go forward and, and sign something like that because it, it just doesn't work out that way. So. Well, I, and one other thing I had, I had two points I wanted to kind of bring up here is how complicated are those? You said you looked at the contract and, and very important. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't look at contracts. It took you how long? I mean, how many pages are these contracts generally? Oh, I mean, it might be 50 pages to look through it all. And, you know, whether it's a product like this, annuities are very complicated as well. Um, I run into people all the time that had bought them. And so every time I always ask them, so do you understand this? Nobody ever understands it. Nobody does. And so then I kind of have to look through the contract, see how this specific one works, explain to them the details and then they're like oh yeah we never knew without that was going to happen and the other thing i was going to say is i think a lot of people selling them don't understand them as well i mean you're a cfp certified financial planner you had to go through you know a lot of testing and a lot of studying i mean we're series 65 licensed we're registered with the sec we have a lot of kind of liability in that regard people selling these don't they just need their life and health Sales is that is that correct? It's a, a much kind of simpler process to sell these. It, it is easier. So yeah, I, I took all the tests. You have to have a life and health insurance license, and then if it's a variable annuity, you have to have a a six and sixty three at at a minimum. Um, and those tests are very easy. So I took the six, the sixty three, the seven, the life and health, um, the CFP test. Um, the seven of those series was you know, supposedly the most difficult. I studied for about three days for that um, and, and passed it with a CFP. That took me about six months to the test vote. So it's a much more comprehensive um, testing. But I, I think the main reason why, you know, your guys and, and myself look at these differently is, um, as Brent mentioned, my intention is not to sell things and make commissions off it. I really want to understand how they work because if they were actually helpful, then I would 
show people, you know, how to buy them and how to structure them. But the fact is they're not. And so my job is to look at what really truly helps people the most and then and help them accomplish that. And these things, they really don't. And, you know, again, if, if you misstep or you don't fund it the right way or it doesn't perform the right way, more often than not, a couple years down the road, you might say, well, we've got this thing. It didn't do what it's supposed to. So now we're going to just have to cancel the policy. So I run into a lot more people who have these things lapse and cancel them as opposed to actually take income from them. And then they lose the money on it. And, and again, there is a need for insurance. But as a financial planner that's independent, uh, you actually look, do they need the insurance? But as an investment, insurance is not a good investment. And that's what you're trying to get across to people. I said that because like, oh, my gosh, you know. As a insurance person, you can make big commissions selling it, so they'll say almost anything. And there's some very, very good insurance people out there, but there are some that are not. They're just salespeople, uh, which you're trying to say. Right. And that's why as a financial planner, when people come to see you, you actually look at it from an unbiased point of view, saying, do you really need life insurance? Uh, if not, then why do it? So, Harrison, I want to thank you for, for being with us this morning. I know we spent a little bit more because it is a complicated uh, subject. But uh, thanks for calling. We'll see you in the office on Monday. Sounds good, guys. See you on Monday. All right. Sounds good. Bye-bye. Again, that's our financial planner from Wilsey Asset Management. He is a CFP, Harrison Johnson. You want to talk to him directly, give him a call at the office, 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. And just hit the button or the prompt for Harrison. You can talk to him and... Uh, get more information on what you should be doing for a, a good financial plan. Jace, funny story here. Uh, I, I did get my insurance license uh, probably uh, 40 years ago, I, I believe it was. And uh, I went to a, uh, it was called Mike Russ Schools. And he said, just do this on the test and you will pass it. Don't try to be smart about it. Just do it. I took the test. I finished it in like 12 minutes. And I was the first one done. I'm looking around like, what happened here? Am I, you know, because I think they give you like two hours for the test. But I just did what he said, and I passed the test. I didn't, I didn't know anything about it. He said, like, if, if, if this says this here, click on that over there. Well, then it wasn't click on it. <laughs> you check the box. So it was not a very hard test, obviously. 12 minutes is what I finished. Well, I think it's an unfortunate thing because <clears throat> I'm not going to say all people selling these policies are, are bad people. That's just no, not. not. I, the unfortunate thing is I, I think they're taught how to sell them. They're not taught on how the policies actually work. So right. when you're taught how to sell them, wow, they sound great. You're sold on them because the person above you, they make money off of that as well. Right. So it's <laughs> like, wow, these do sound great. I think that's going to help people out. But they don't, uh, again, understand that 50-page contract. So it's, I think, an unfortunate thing. And as you said, I, I'm not saying all policies are bad. I, I want to get that across. But the truth of the matter is there's a lot out there that generate very, very high commissions and are terrible for your yeah. for your long-term investing and that's why a true financial planner is very important because they will tell you and again you're going to pay a fee for that financial planner but you want that because they're going to give you the truth about what you have not like well if i sell this insurance policy i'll make ten thousand dollars you know so. I, mean, I mean that's that's the big <coughs> thing is you know harrison our financial planner he doesn't you know the make any more if he recommends the life insurance or doesn't recommend the life insurance right so i mean he's he's truly unbiased there because and it's he, not like Oh yeah, uh, you know, don't buy the life insurance because that's going to hurt me here as the financial planner. Right, that's not true. Right, so it, it's an unbiased plan. And he has recommended insurance for people, and yeah. uh, they got it. He, he recommends to go to I think uh, Select Quote or something else to try to get the best price they can because he doesn't sell it. We don't sell it at our office. So, um, all right, phone number is eight six six five seven seven two four seven three. That's eight six six five seven seven. 
1-800-242-2473. Let's go out to San Diego and speak with Cameron. Cameron, you're on the Smart Vegetable Brent Chase. How can we help you? Hey, what's up, guys? Uh, not too much. How you doing? I'm doing good, doing good. I just heard you guys randomly flipping through the stations, and uh, I'm 25, just got into stock, so thought I'd give you guys a call. Well, Glad you found us. Thank you, thank you. I'm interested in Genom, Golden Nugget Online Gaming. Oh, that's pretty interesting. Now, do you, uh, do you hold that already or looking at buying it? I'm holding it right now. Okay. Are you up, you down? Where do you stand, Cameron? Uh, I'm, I'm a little bit down. Okay. But I'm I'm kind of like break even. My I I have two options for it. Okay. At around, I bought them at around like eight. Okay. Well, well, let's take a look. Uh, Golden Nugget Online Gambling Gaming Incorporated, symbol is G N O G. Uh, not a great start here, Cameron. Rather expensive on the PE ratio, one sixty, but it is a high PE industry at fifty nine. I do not see any price to sales. I do not see why well, I do have a price to book value of 3.99 versus not material for the industry and price of cash flow, nothing there as well versus 21.9 for the industry. So we also do see no dividend, uh, no sales or earnings growth. Now it's possible. Now it shows me they report earnings on September 30th, but a lot of these numbers are missing. So it could be a very small company, which Chase will look at in a second here. Uh, I only see their earnings per share year over year for the last quarter. We're down 120% when the industry was up 15 the balance sheet, one positive here, very strong. Current ratio, 3.2 versus 1.3. Debt to equity, zero versus 76. So no debt in the balance sheet. I have a feeling this could be a new company. Return equity is 0.3 versus 13.4. No net profit margin, no inventory. Receivable turnover. Chase, you have anything on the earnings going forward? Anything about the company uh, for Cameron? Um, not much. I mean, it's it just kind of pulled this up. There's only 80 employees that work there, uh, but current price here eighteen dollars thirty two cents. Uh, the fifty two week range eleven dollars and fifteen cents to twenty six dollars. So it, it looks like it's been pretty volatile there. Uh, the current market cap of the company, though, I'm kind of surprised by this. About one point two five billion. Wow. So a decent size there. Unfortunately, there's there's no analysts that cover this company. Um, so there's just not much information on this, Cameron. Um, it looks like they had sales of like 83.66 million. So it, it's, I think, again, a, a futuristic thing. I know that there's 20 states now that approved gambling and so forth. So I, I'm not quite sure what the future holds for it. It could be a big win, but it, as it is its industry, it's definitely a gamble here. Yeah, it's a gamble on a gambling company. So, yeah. <laughs> so, I like that. Yeah, so, but uh, watch it closely. Again, as Chase said, there's more states owning uh, gaming, which could help a lot. But as a business goes, it's, it's not a lot there yet. I think it's a new company. All right, Cameron? All right, great. Thank you very much, guys. All right, Pat, uh, thanks for calling. And, hey, don't be a stranger. We'll look forward to hearing to you, from you soon. Definitely. Have a good one. All right, you too. Bye-bye. All right, that does open another phone line, 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. Got all lines open. Call in. You'll be first up. We're going to take a quick break here. Again, when we come back, in about two minutes, your calls are up, 866-577-2473. You are listening to the Smart Investing Show with Brent and Chase. Stay with us. We'll be back.
Alrighty, welcome back after that quick break. Yes, phone number. It did uh, reach the show. You got that question about investing. Like about that unbiased, no strings attached in a business that you own. We call them businesses, equities. Uh, people call them stocks. 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. Let's go right out to Poway right away and speak with Jim. Jim, you're on the Smart Investor over in Chase. How can we help you? Cool. Can you, you hear me? Yep, we can hear you now, Jim. How can we help you? Excellent. Hey, I just listened to the uh, insurance uh, expert there you had, and, and uh, it made me kind of question some things that I've done. Um, I actually have one of those policies that has a, a set value, and it, I paid for 10 years, quite mm -hmm. a bit, a, a lot of money, almost $1,000 a month. So I, I no longer have to pay. Okay. I'm, 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 in, I'm about 50 years old. Uh, I kind of did it that way because I didn't want to have a payment through the rest of my life. I wanted to stop working and work, live off some passive income. But it now has like a, a surrender value of like 156000 I don't oh, know geez. if I can say that. Yeah, you but, can say that. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, it has a face value of seven fifty, mm -hmm. And I'm done paying it. Is there anything wrong with that? Or, or I, I mean, it, it sounded like I bought a bad investment from listening to your expert. Yeah, if you were to do, uh, and again, this is what Harrison does, a financial planner. He would look to say, okay, well, this is what you did. It sounded pretty good. But if you compared what the alternatives were, what you could have done was been this. And the other thing, too, that this is possible. We have seen studies that insurance companies having a very hard time. You were not supposed to pay after 10 years. They could come back. I'm going to say in five years and say, sorry, Jim, uh, you need to add a little more money into this because interest rates went down too low. We can't keep doing this. The, the policy will lapse. So that is a kind of, that's a surprise for some people. And I know what you were trying to do there, but when you look at all the expenses of, of life insurance, there's a lot of expenses there. Um, and did you need the life insurance as well? Um, for my family, sure. I mean, okay, that's good. one of our sec second jobs, you know. Yeah. Take care of the family. Yeah, yeah. So, well. so, so that that does make sense. But it's just something that um, you, you really look at what you could have done versus something else, and, and that's where again a true financial planner like Harrison uh, sits down and kind of look at those things to to figure things out for you. Yeah, and sometimes too, okay. Jim is, you know, it, it's in the past. It's you know maybe if you would have saved the money in let's say a four hundred one k or something else, as Brent kind of alluded to, there was likely other better options out there for you um, that. Maybe this didn't have great returns, and I don't know enough about the policy to say, yes, it was terrible, or, you know, actually it wasn't that bad. But, uh, you know, sometimes it's it's done, so it, it, there's nothing you can change about it. If you've paid all these premiums and so forth, it's nothing to really change. I know Harrison has kind of seen that in the past where it's like you're kind of locked into it at this point, which, you know, it, it's not terrible. You have insurance, I guess, which is not bad, but... Uh, Right. The, the problem is kind of the opportunity cost of, of what that money could have done for you in the future. Yeah, and, and we don't all want right. to say that all insurance is bad because it's not. You just want to make sure that it's right for you and right for whoever's buying it. Because a lot of times it is sold and it's not always a great sale. So, I mean, I, I don't know what your whole situation is. I don't know if you even, I think so you're 50. I don't know if you have a financial plan. You might want to give Harrison a call and your first consultation is free to see if you even need a financial plan. Maybe you're doing great. Maybe you don't need it, but you can give him a call and it is free consultation there. All right. All right. Bob, I might right. do that. I have a question about stock, too, if I can get to it. Sure, sure. CrowdStrike. Um, I bought, I own it, and uh, bought a lot of it in March, uh, 
about March 13th last year or something like that, or March 17th last year. Mm-hmm. It was about a $30 price, 30, 36 or 38 something like that. Done extremely well on it, more than I could ever want to. <laughs> I, would do. I think it hit 241 yesterday. Um, it'll be a year that I've owned it next month, um, and it's not. A, it's in a brokerage account, and, okay. and I was just wondering what what's is there more to go with CrowdStrike, or is it you know should I sell, pay the taxes, or you I, know I, what's your opinion? Yeah, I think it's part of this whole hype thing here, and I, I, I and I'll, we're going to roll the numbers just to make sure. Uh, you've done very well on it. Congratulations. But when I start off, and again, their symbol is CRWD. The company is CrowdStrike Holdings Incorporated. No P.E. ratio versus 66 for the industry. So right off the bat, we know the last 12 months have not made any money. Uh, price to sales, 70 versus 13 for the industry. Price to book value, 75 versus 105. No price to cash flow, no dividend. Now, here's what they've done very well at. Their sales are up 86% year over year compared to the industry, up 12 Earnings per share have oh. climbed by 45%, well above the industry of 7.8. We do see a current ratio of 1.9 versus 2.1. Debt to equity, zero versus 79. So no debt in the balance sheet. That's a big positive. We do see a negative return on equity of 13.3%. The industry is a positive 26. Their net profit margin is a negative 13.4. So every dollar they bring in, they actually lose 13 cents on that dollar. Industry makes 20 cents on that dollar. And their inventory turn, I'm sorry, their receivable turnover is 4.8 versus 6.3. Before I make a comment, Chase, are there any earnings on that company going uh, forward? Yeah, I did kind of look at this uh, company as well, what they do. Uh, they are a software company, provide cloud-delivered solutions uh, for next-generation endpoint protection in the U.S., Australia, Germany, India, Romania. That's kind of an interesting one to be yeah. lumped in there, and uh, <laughs> the United Kingdom. Um, and I was going to say that... that this kind of reminds me a lot. Talk earlier in the show about the tech boom 2.0 is kind of mm-hmm. what I see this as. It, it's not the dot com now, but I think it's cloud and software as a service yeah. are the two things that are just, if you're in that field, wow, you're going to be trading at these lofty, lofty valuations. Because I do look at the, the current price of CrowdStrike, $242.10, so even a little bit higher than you, you thought there, Jim. And the uh, 52-week range, $31.95 is the low, the high right near that at 245.42. I go out to next year, which is 2022. The estimated earnings per share just 36 cents. We use a 16.6 multiple, which is a long-term average for the forward PE. Using that 36 cents, we would get a target sell price of $5.98. So, I mean, it's Holy likely <laughs> that the earnings are still going to grow. But that means that the company is going to have to grow into this valuation. And how quickly can they increase earnings to justify a multiple of that nature? I know you got a comment, so I'm going to calculate the Ford PE as well. Yeah, and Jim, one thing I look at too is that this stock could go to 250, 300, could keep going up. But the thing is, it's just based on kind of like what GameStop did, where people kept buying it and buying it and buying it. When eventually those buyers go away, that stock will drop. So you have to make a decision, hey, I made a lot of money on this here. Next month, I get a long-term capital gain treatment, which will help out. Uh, maybe it's time to say, hey, I did well and move on. And then, you know, when we sell something, we don't only sell at the absolute top, but we just don't look back. It's like, well, that kind of happens. And if we sell it at 250, we'll call it, it goes to 300. Well, you did extremely well. So what's that, like eight times your investment? That's pretty darn good. Yeah, and I, I, look yeah, at, I, I look at the forward PE here. It's 672.5. As I said, the long-term average is 16.6. Right. And this company, as Brent said, could go to 300. 
I mean, it, it could be in 15 years, it could still be a great business. I'm not taking that away, but I, I look at this as an Intel back in the dot, the dot com where, yes, Intel was a great company and it was a very futuristic company that's still around today, generates now billions in revenue, but it's never gotten back to the peak that it achieved during the tech boom. Same with Cisco as well. So there's companies that, and, and there's many others as well. So that's what you have to kind of look at. It's like uh, you, you took a gamble here. You did extremely well. Uh, it might be time to walk away from the table, but I, I would wait one more month and hopefully nothing happens because you, you won't get that long-term capital gain treatment. Yeah, right. no, that's the whole reason. I, I'm hoping I don't wait and then it goes down <laughs> 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 on March 7th or something yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah, I, and it could pull back. I doubt very seriously it would go back down to 30 um, but I yeah. think it makes a lot of sense to, to take that tax and wait for the tax favoritism now. Already? Yeah. Hey, thank you for your opinion. I really appreciate it. And, uh, take care. Okay, and we'll, we'll see if you call and talk to Harrison. We'll look forward to hearing that. All right, Jim? All right, Jim. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Sure. You're welcome. All right, that is over the phone. another phone line, 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. I was just thinking, you know, we are an investment firm. Yes. And uh, when Jim was talking about the insurance policy, I would love that as an investment firm, yes, to actually invest with us, you have to give us $12,000 every <laughs> single year. Otherwise, your policy is going to lapse and you commit to that over, again, it's yeah. a 10-year period and you're locked into it. Oftentimes, you're kind of trapped where it's like you either bail on the policy yeah. or you just keep putting the money in. I mean, it's it's a 10-year commitment. And it's like, gosh, you get five years through it. And it's like, do I just take the money I've put into it and just let it lapse? Or do I keep doing this for another five years? I mean, it's it's tough. I mean, the, these insurance companies with annuities and life insurance as well, it's they make you do the long-term commitment, their surrender charters, other things. I mean, it's it's so tough. And, and that's what we always tell people. When you invest with our firm, it's, it's completely flexible. There's yeah. no charges. There's no back-end loads like that. We do have the management fee. I don't want to say there's no charges. Right, there yeah, is yeah, a management fee. We don't manage fee, it for but, free. But no upfront charges, <laughs> yes. no back-end charges. I mean, the money's always liquid, and we don't force you to stay with us for 10 years, or else you're going to get hit with a big surrender charge. No, I mean, if you leave in six months because, oh, my gosh, all of a sudden your house blew up on you, had no insurance, you need money back, we'll give it back to you. It will be at the market value, obviously, yeah. but we're not going to charge you for taking it back like the insurance companies do. And another another thing I don't like about insurance companies, that's so good, why do you have to have that surrender charge? Yeah. <laughs> yeah so. I don't like people telling me what I can and can't do with my money. Like, right. yeah. It's like, no, you can't have your money back. What do you mean? <laughs> yeah, no, yeah no, I don't want to have to stay at the party if it's not a good party. You know, I don't want to be locked in the doors there. So, all righty. Uh, right now it's time for our, our real estate segment. And for that, we turn to David Souter uh, from Souter Realty. Good morning, David. How you doing? Good morning, Brent. How are you? Good, good. I am shocked. We had a conversation, I think, about two weeks ago. And you said you're getting very few calls. I'm thinking, what is going on here? David is, I, I believe, you're the only one I know that charges that true 1% commission for selling their home. I thought your phone would be lit up like crazy. Maybe people are not believing what you're saying? Or what do you think? Well, let me give you the update of the stats right now in the okay. market because I think that's um, kind of the root of it. Um, January this past January, which actually did show a little uptick in inventory. Uh, actually, no, I lied. The last two Januaries would normally show an uptick from December, but this January did not. It went down again. Um, it went down from December, dropped another 300 units. Um, 
normally the holidays, we see December as being the worst month of the year. In fact, if we look back year after year, the the graph just drops to its lowest point in December for inventory. And then it starts, you know, it doesn't get crazy in January, but it picks up. <clears throat> this weird year went down again after December. For the I've never seen that happen to actually have less. Um, and, you know, just looking back to the spring of 2019, not that long ago, there were almost 14,000 active listings. And that same year, by August, it kind of fell off a cliff, dropped to 9,000. And by December of 2019, there were only like 5,800 units. So it went down almost to a third in that in 2019. So it was already kind of happening. We went from like a five-month supply to less than a two-month supply in that time period. And right now, we have less than one month supply of inventory. Um, and it's interesting because this all started, I mean, I can't make complete heads or tails of it. This all actually started before COVID hit. Inventory actually increased through May of last year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, COVID was in full swing, but yet inventory was going up. So the market was doing well. But then it started to to, to trend downward again um, in, uh, in the some of this stuff is plateauing. The median sales price has actually dropped a bit in January, but it's kind of plateaued right now. And the time spent on the market um, kind of hit a low. That just determines how fast a house sells, basically, time on the market. That hit a low back in November, but has been increasing every month since then slightly. Um, so what what does this mean for some – I mean, for for – People aren't selling their homes is is what answer to your question. Um, people aren't listing their homes. <clears throat> Why exactly? Uh, we could speculate, but um, they're you know I've never seen the inventory as low as it is right now. Now, if you do want to sell, uh, the supply and demand are in your favor right now. It's the the supply is the lowest it's been in in the 15 year history that I can go back. I've never seen it this low under a month right. supply. Right. Um, you know, because of these conditions, there's never been a better time to be a seller. Um, you know, sellers are getting top dollar. And even though we see the average market time is technically at 29 days right now, the nice properties are getting scooped up within a week or two and going into escrow. So there's plenty of buyers out there. Um, you know, this situation, if you're selling, though, is also best for folks that are leaving the area because if they want to sell here and and also buy here, they now become a buyer and they're on the <laughs> other end of that that nasty equation. Uh, so if you're going to stay here it's and, and, and you're able to do it, it's best to find a house before you sell your house because you're going to probably be looking for a while and lose some homes. You know, there's multiple offers coming in on homes right now and stuff like that. The people who are selling are or cashing in. And, and David, um, I, I think there's a, a time when people, they know that things are kind of high. They know inventory is low. This is when, now this is what I would do. I would start calling you and, and be prepared because when things change and it could be next week, could be next year, but I'd want to be prepared saying, I want to talk to this guy, Dave, David Suter, because he's going to do it for a true 1%. Uh, David, how do, they, how do they get a hold of you? Um, our office here is 858-564-8531. Again, that's, Eight five eight five six four eight five three one. They can also go visit the website soldforone.com. Um, that's all spelled out: S O L D F O R O N E. Soldforone.com. If they want to, a lot of folks like to peruse the internet and get a little bit more feel for me before they want to call. You know, yeah. it's so. That's yeah, um, way to do it. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> well, David, thank you very much. We appreciate it, and uh, have a great day. And and again, I know you're busy, so I really appreciate you taking the time to come in and 
and call for or talk to our listeners here about what to do with real estate. And again, 1% to sell a house that is unheard of. So, and it's true. No, no, no smoke or mirrors there, right? Nope. No, no, no hidden anything. We do everything the expensive guys do except charge you too much, basically. And, and, and actually, you did it for me. So I know personally, I back you up 100% because I know personally uh, there it is a true 1%. David, thank you very much. Appreciate the vote of confidence, Brent. My pleasure. You're welcome. Have a good Saturday. Bye-bye. And you too. Bye. All right. Again, as David Suda. Yeah, check out his website. Uh, very easy to remember that. Soldfor1.com. So, and again, you're looking at selling your house. You're going to save tens of thousands of dollars by doing that. So, all right. Uh, let's go back to the calls here. Gosh, got a busy morning going on here. I think uh, coming up next uh, was uh, Anthony uh, in San Diego. Good morning, Anthony. You're on the Smart Invest Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Hey, good morning, gentlemen. Thank you for, uh, um, again, your show and your service. Uh, Quick question. um, So LAM Research has done spectacular. I I called a few weeks back, mentioned I'm part of an investment club, and um, it's really done an exceptional job as part of our portfolio. We're we're close to, you know, 150, uh, marching toward 200% gains on it. So the question we had as a club was, do we just add more to it? Because uh, the future growth prospects in in that industry it seems to be a leader in it, um, maybe two or three competitors. But uh, so I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts on um, adding to uh, successful holding. Um, we've done really well by holding on to Apple and Google over the years. Even when they become overweighted, we may sell a little bit to kind of keep it to 15%. But in this case, uh, here's another, you know, winner. And mm-hmm. so what are your thoughts on something like this? Well, we'll go to the numbers. I'll make a, a few comments here now. I mean, one thing you want to always look at is percentage-wise, how much does it make up a portfolio? And you do want to be careful here. You don't want to buy high and buy higher and buy higher. You're supposed to buy low and sell high. So don't forget that basic fundamental of investing because, again, things will change, and they're going to change. I don't can't tell you when, but it will. I've been doing this for 40 years, and I've seen uh, you know, 87, 1990, 2000, 2008 uh, last year. So you got to be very careful here. I was just going to add, you know, winners are winners until they're not winners anymore. (laughs) That's the problem. Great point. (laughs) So let's look at the LAM research here. Their symbol is uh, LRCX. See what the numbers look like. Not a bad start because their P-E ratio is 29 versus 48. So it is a positive, but not a positive. It's price to sales, 7 versus 2.8. Price to book value, 21.7 versus not material for the industry. But price of cash flow, also expensive, 26 versus 18.3. Now, they, they do pay a very small dividend, 0.9%, use 24% of their earnings to pay that out. So I'm kind of surprised they use that much of their earnings to pay such a small dividend. Their sales are doing phenomenal, though, up 24.9% year over year. The industry was down 4.8. Earnings per share climbed by 49.4% when the industry was down 296 Look at the balance sheet. Not too bad. Uh, we've got a current ratio of 3.2 versus 2.1. That's good. Debt to equity a little bit heavy here, 106 versus 57. Now, I'm not saying don't invest to come that high of debt, but you want to make sure they can handle that. You want to look at the cash flow. Is the debt increasing, decreasing? You want to understand what's going on with the debt because that could be a problem down the road if it continues to climb. Return equity looks very good, 60 versus 9.3. Net profit margin that checks in at 24.9 versus 5.8. And we do see receivable turnover, 4.8. That is below the industry at 5.6. That should be higher. And then inventory turnover the last 12 months is 3.3, about the same as the inventory or the industry at 3.6. Chase, what about the earnings going forward? Yeah, I was just kind of checking this as well because I, I knew they were in this semiconductor space. 
uh, but they actually design, manufacture, market, refurbish, and service semiconductor processing equipment. And uh, the thing is, we, we know there's a chip shortage out yes. there. So I, I, I know this is an industry of interest, I, I guess. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a, a good spot to be. Uh, also, kind of just looking at the current price, I'm, I'm shocked. The current price here, $586.16. Oh. <laughs> 52-week high, 597.74, and 52-week low, 181.38. And I say I'm shocked because years ago when I was in high school, Lamb Research was one of the companies I put in a fictitious portfolio for my senior project. And gosh, I wish wow. I put real money in there. <laughs> Remember what the price was yeah. back then? I think it was like 50 or 60. You know, yeah. it's off the top of my head, but, you know, it's, uh, it is what it is. <laughs> but uh, looking forward now, I mean, can't go into the past and, and change it. Can I go forward? I go out to June 2022. I do see estimated earnings per share. They're still quite nice at $26.43. It does give us a target sell price of $438.74. And, and Anthony, I remember when we spoke last, you said you guys have a, a growth and a value component mm-hmm. here. I mean, as a value perspective, yeah. this is it's overpriced. I mean, it, it's definitely not a value company any longer. It's kind of ridden into this momentum and, and this growth phase. Mm-hmm. And I remember years ago, it was a value company. Yeah, and, and there could be more room to run on this, but I, I, I would really hesitate saying, yes, add to it, even though the number, well, the numbers say no. I mean, the numbers say it actually is a sell. Um, I might even recommend the, the opposite, say you might want to take some off the table. If it, if we held this, we would sell the entire amount because that's how we, we manage money. But I, I, I can't say, yes, it's a good thing to add to Fascinating. it. Fascinating. Yeah. I, yeah. I'd, I'd rather have you guys. We, go ahead. No, I was just going to add uh, that that's that's interesting because we did we did end up uh, selling um, our initial investment in Tesla after after we spoke a few weeks back mm-hmm. as a club uh, we met and um, so we took basically we let our our profits run but we took our initial investment out and in this case um, you know we, we we did buy the initial you know it's not as good as um, what you bought it at in high school but we did buy it a long that initial you know little kind of toe in the water with it we did get it at just a phenomenal price um, and we, you know again we, we, we wonder where is that next lamb research and and they do have that that uh, there are a number of things that are a little not within our guidelines as a club like SPACs so it's kind of maybe on the personal side on personal investing do you ever you ever dabble a toe in and and SPACs? Um, like we we purchased one that uh, is called BFT, and so I'm curious. That's very different from what we do as a club. Yeah. But on the personal side, what what are your thoughts there? Well, we we never dabble because we're very serious when it comes to investing. We'll only invest seriously. And I know some people feel like, well, I got to take some risk here. I got to like I say no. Mm-hmm. Why take risk and perhaps lose something? I'm gonna risk something. I'll go to Vegas and, and spend a couple thousand dollars. And if I lose, great it, point. Least, yeah, <laughs> at, least, at least I had fun and you know got, got some free drinks and stuff. But when it comes to our yeah. portfolios for our clients, I mean, we manage about four hundred million dollars. We're very serious about that money because I do not want to lose it. I've been in the industry for like 40 years. I do not have one mark on my license. I've never done anything terrible. Uh, and I stick to the discipline of saying, this is what we do. Now, if somebody does want to go out and buy Tesla or buy something else, yeah, go ahead, go ahead and do it. But we're not going to do it here. We're very serious about buying businesses in the portfolio, paying a low price for that business. When it gets to a certain price that is what we would call fully valued, we will sell it. And, and that's probably the worst thing that people don't do is they don't stick to their discipline. They kind of slide to the left because, oh, everybody is buying Tesla, you know, and then they get burnt down the road. So I think as an investment <laughs> club, it's kind of to help people learn and make money. 
but also too, you got to come up with what what is your your uh, projection going forward? What, what what do you want to accomplish as an investment club? Do you want to really make money investment side? You're trying to learn from it. Um, that's what you guys have to establish. How, how many people do you have in your club? Uh, we have about 12 active members, 14, uh, right around 14 overall. Um, we, uh, we, we actually meet every other month. And so our portfolio, you know, we started with 50. It, it is educational, um, education based. That is our focus. But um, if you make money while learning, that's always a bonus. And we're, oh, we're getting close to a, a, a million as a portfolio. And so as a club, you know, as an investment club, we're, we're just ecstatic. You know, we, we realize and we've lived through. Um, some of those uh, busts that you mentioned, you know, mm-hmm. boom busts, and, and we, we learn basically, again, it's, it's long-term investing. Uh, busts, you know, when the market crashes is a, is a buying opportunity. It, it's, it's a hard lesson sometimes, but um, we approach it as don't panic, just stay in, stay in the game yep. Yep. Uh, as a club. And, um, but, yeah, we, uh, uh, you know, we, we have let our winners run, so to speak. Um, um, Facts that research is another one. It's like in the 500% or almost 600% gain that, We've held over 20 years. Um, oh, good. Um, you know, yeah. we've trimmed it back. We, we actually saw, again, that's another one very similar to Tesla, where we, we had the initial, you know, run-up, and we pulled out our gains, and we just let it run, and it just keeps, it just keeps growing and growing and growing. And uh, um, to be honest, uh, Apple and Google did that for us as too, uh, as well. We, we sold that original investment. And, Anthony, i got to let you go here, but one thing I would recommend from the investment club is you got to come up with your sell strategy. That's the hardest part is what your sell strategy is because if it keeps moving to the left, to right, and so forth, you don't really have a sell strategy. You've got to come up with a sell strategy that works for you guys. Uh, and it doesn't sound to me like they have one. I, I think I hear you, you say you sell the... <laughs> You're you know, right. Yeah, so, so as a club, try to come up Thank with a sell you. strategy that you stick to because it's going to make you feel better okay. even though you're going to have ones that you sell and they go higher. All right, Anthony? Thank you, sir. Thank you're you welcome. so much. Thanks for calling. Bye-bye. Thanks, guys. Take care. I know. Go I ahead, uh, did look back to 2011, 2010. That? It was at uh, about $30, $40 a share. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. I, you know, to be I, obviously our target sell price is 486 and I, I would have sold it before 586 But, I, again, it shows that, you know, good companies, right. even if it went <clears> from 30 to 40 and I think back then my target sell price on was probably around, like, 70 but the earnings increase over yeah. time that's what you love with businesses is as time progresses it's like well now in let's say 2012 my target sell price is now 80 now the target sell price in 2013 well now it's 90 so it continues <coughs> to climb as the earnings increase and it, it does show i mean while again i would have missed on the growth run up right. that we've seen the value component really really did well for you back in <coughs> you know 2011 and I do say their earnings have gone up dramatically. I mean, the actual earnings in June 2019 were what, uh, 1455 on a pre-exempt basis. So uh, you said they're what, they're going to be 26 next year. So big increase. Yeah. <coughs> and I, I did kind of want to bring in a, a question from Facebook that I, I think is helpful for listeners as well. Yes. Uh, it, it brings out here, you know, when doing future evaluations, do you figure in dividends or just <coughs> think of them as an added bonus, i.e., do you always use 16.5? It's now 16.6 is the new multiple because it does change over time yeah. as the, the uh, multiple moves uh, for everything, no matter if there is no dividend or if it was, let's say, 8% is that dividend yield. And in short, we use that 16.6 or that long-term hours for the forward P on every company. No matter the dividend, we are value investors first, and we just consider the dividend right. the icing on the cake. Yeah, and, it, and we do look at total return. I mean, obviously, we, we talk about companies to where, like, oh, they were up 12%, added a 4% dividend, 16%. So the dividends are 
uh, important, but you're right. They're kind of like icing on the cake because it, it's it's nice. And again, we have companies, and we talked about John about this, what his yield is now based yeah. on initial investment. We had the same situation about a company 10, 12 years ago <clears throat> and um, getting a, a 14, 15% yield because we paid such a low price and the company has increased their dividends over time. Yeah, so. and I, I do kind of want to expand that question. <laughs> Jesus, struggling over there. <laughs> Damn, I got something stuck in my throat. I can't get it out. <clears throat> but I did want to kind I, of. I, I need a cough button. Yeah. That's what I need here. <laughs> I you did put want... the cough button in this studio. <laughs> yeah. Well, what good is that doing me? It's way I have there. no idea. I got no idea. <laughs> All right, I'll signal when I'm going to cough so you can hit the cough button, okay? <laughs> I, I did want to kind of expand that one step further because a lot of times we get people that, well, what about if you do like biotech? What if you do technology to use different multiples? And we always tell people, no, we, we use it. Because things do tend to move to that long-term average. I mean, utilities is a big one that I point out. Oh, utilities, they'll never trade above 12 times earnings. Well, now they trade, and 20. recently it was around 20 times yeah, earnings. Yeah. So things do move, and yes, we're, we're oftentimes <clears throat> conservative on that, but I, I'd rather not say, oh, well, it's a biotech, so let's trade it at 50 times earnings. You know, once you start to, again, as you said with Anthony, right. move your discipline you have no discipline at all, right? And you start to second guess that strategy, right? Right, and then and then things start falling apart, and you start panicking, and then you sell everything when maybe you shouldn't have. So yeah, that's why discipline. I I would say uh, in investing, two important things come to mind: no emotions because that's going to destroy you, and you got to have a discipline because yeah. if you don't, you're going to end up be dead in the water somewhere down the road because things will will you know pull back. They're going to drop. You could sell. Maybe that's the time to buy. But no diff uh, discipline. You're just going to dump, dump it and panic later on. So, all right. Uh, let's go out to uh, back to the phones here. Phone number is 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. Has been a very busy day on the phone. So, let's head out to San Diego and speak with Wayne. Wayne, you're in the Smart Vegetable Brand Chase. How can we help you? Morning, gentlemen. Um, I wanted your opinion on Intel INTC. Um, the basis is I sold my Intel last week for a profit, but based on the news that uh, there's a shortage of semiconductor chips and uh, Intel doesn't manufacture their own chips anymore, I understand. So I'm, 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 hope, I'm expecting a pullback, even though I think the stock could go higher. Just want to know your opinion. Yeah, there has been a lot of positive news on it. Uh, you know, they have a new CEO. I think he started already, I believe. I think it was February 1st, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. Uh, also, too, they have, uh, I forget, a third point, I think it is. They have, what, a billion dollars in there. So they've been pushing. I think they're trying to get some seats on the board. I, I think Chase showed a comment as well. Yeah, I was going to say, they, they still manufacture their yeah. semiconductors, their chips. Uh, they're just <clears throat> talking about using a hybrid approach where, you know, maybe they outsource some of it, keep some of it in-house. Um, and I know that Dan Loeb and, and us kind of have a similar opinion on this is that we need Intel yeah. because we don't want to outsource all of our chip manufacturing to, let's say, Taiwan Semiconductors and Samsung, which are not American companies. We need some place, especially when you have chip shortages. Yeah. If you have companies that aren't in the United States, it's like, ooh, yeah, sorry, we're, we're going to actually give them to companies in Taiwan first, not in America. So it, we need Intel to continue to do well and continue to manufacture their chips um, and continue to improve upon that process. Yeah, and they have the assets, they have the buildings, they have the capability. And I would love to see them someday, I don't think it happens soon, someday to where people start using Intel to manufacture their chips right here in the U.S. So, And that's not going to happen next week, next month. But uh, let's look at the numbers here for you on Intel because uh, we want to see where you stand on that. Their company is Intel. The symbol is INTC. Very good start. Uh, P.E. ratio, 12.5 versus 38.2. Price of sales, 3.2 versus 6.8. P.E. 
price to book value 5.6 versus 25.6 and price to cash flow 7.6 versus 21 so all the valuation ratios look very good for intel you also get a pretty good dividend it's a 2.3 percent they use 26 percent of their earnings to pay that out now year over year over the last 12 months sales are up 8.2 percent same as the industry uh, this is surprising. Uh, earnings per share over the last uh, 12 months, year over year, for Intel were up 4.6%, but the industry was down 11.44. So there are some high flyers in the industry, but the industry overall was actually down their earnings. Uh, balance sheet for Intel, a current ratio 1.9, about the same as the industry at 2.2. Debt equity, very good for Intel, 45 versus 65 for the industry. Return of that equity for Intel is 26.3, well above the industry of 15.6. Net profit margin, this is a very big number, checks in at 26.8. The industry only has a net profit margin of 15.5. So I love this on Intel. They make 27 cents in every dollar. Industry's, ma industry's making 15 and a half cents. Uh, receivable turnover is 10.8 versus 7.6. And uh, inventory turnover, 3.9 versus 4.6. Uh, current price here for Intel, $61.81. It, it did pull back, uh, of course, after the, the quarter, which the quarter was very strong. It was just... Uh, <clears throat> Didn't it go down Bob, like 44, 45? It, it dropped substantially after yeah. Bob Swan gave some weak information, I guess. But As he usually does. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we'll see kind of what happens with this new CEO. I'm I'm very interested to see what happens. Uh, gosh, what are we in right now? February. So what is that? In, in like April, uh, May, when they report their next earnings. So that'll be his first earnings call. Um, see and what I, he kind of says. Curious to see what he does when he talks about the guidance going forward. Because exactly. Bob Swan was always very conservative. This guy, tech guy, he might be a little more optimistic. Not quite as much as Elon Musk. Yeah. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, again, given that current price, I, I'm going to go back to that 6181, 52-week high, 6787, and that 52-week low, 4361. I go out to December 2022. I see estimated earnings per share of $4.86. It would give us a target sell price of $80.68. I mean, it, it, it is still well below that, that target sell price that we have. Uh, earnings aren't estimated to do as well as they did last year in 2020. 2020 was a very strong year for Intel. Um, but, you know, they've always had pretty stable earnings, yep. I would say. Uh, they do have a cyclicality to them. But as I said, they're stable. I think it's a good business. Get a nice dividend, clean balance sheet. Uh, perhaps a new CEO that, that's going to take them to a, a new area of exploration that, that could be a, a big benefit to the company as well. And also, we'll see how they benefit from the shortage of chips because yes. maybe that could help them out. And and, and Intel is kind of like we we talked on the show. I don't know how long you've been listening, Wayne, but uh, we talked to like um, John from Coronado earlier, where he has ADM and Deer. I mean, Intel to me is one of these long-term holding technology companies. It does very well. You get a nice dividend from it. You're probably going to average, I'll say, over a 10-year period, maybe 10, 12, maybe 15 percent per year, maybe higher with a dividend. Um, but I think you said you sold and got out. You may yeah. may get an opportunity to go back in because we think there could be a pullback overall pretty soon, uh, but that is a guess. Uh, and, and I wouldn't think that Intel is going to go from a 61 back down to the 47 range or whatever, um, but you might be able to go back into it. But this is a good long-term chip company, I think, that is going to do well for people over the next 3, 5, 10 years. But if it ever reached our target sell price, we would sell out of it. All right. Well, it's, it's kind of frustrating because you look at other chip stocks that keep zooming. They're 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 in the hundreds now, yeah. mm -hmm. and Intel just sits there, you know, in the fifties. And you're going, 
when it moves up, you go, well, I'll take my profit and see what else I can find. You know what I mean? So I, and that's that, uh, human nature. Yeah, that is, that is very hard to do because you feel like your horse is losing. And you, when in a race, they tell you, do not look to Not even left. in the race. <laughs> no, actually, they are. If you, if you, if you look at long term, I mean, we've done very well, oh, yeah. Mattel. But the right. thing is, right now, right. you got you know AM, what, AMD and NVIDIA. Like, gosh, right. you're just kicking Intel's butt. But I think right. that will churn, you know, change, and I think uh, that Intel, again, is a very good long-term investment. You collect a nice right. dividend, and I don't know about you, but if I had a business that I had for like 10 years and I averaged 15 to 18% on it, I mean, I'd be jumping for joy. So, And another thing is all the major car companies except Toyota reported that they have semiconductor chip shortages. Yeah. So that's another thing that kind of scared me. Concern me. Yeah, and, and that's a good thing because it means they got to ramp up so the demand is there. But I, I don't know. I didn't know that a Toyota didn't have that issue. Maybe they didn't bring it up. No, they don't. No, they have their own. They're, 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 they're the only ones that did said they're fine. Hmm. So I, they, I guess they've been storing them. Yeah, ah. they, 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 they might they, have. You know what I mean? They, they saw that. So they kind of think they saw something that the other car companies didn't see. So they might have relationships so. too. Because I mean, they're, yeah. they're. Right, they're large. They're, you know, they're, yeah. they're a right. large, large company. Right. So right. is GM, though. Right. So I don't know. So. I think right. Toyota is a lot anyway. larger than GM, yeah, though. Yeah. Can I say one thing about your Bitcoin call? Sure, sure. <laughs> Go ahead. Ask the gentleman. My question is: Every other commodity has one set price: gold, silver, oil, copper, whatever commodity you want. There's one price. That's what it trades for on a daily basis. You look at supposedly Bitcoin. There's thousands of, or hundreds of variations of Bitcoin. They all have different prices. Why is that? Hmm. Well, you know, Wayne, I think you just asked Rico that question. If he's still listening, <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see. Yeah, that's what that. I want to know. Yeah. Okay. It's a crazy thing. Anyway, good good point there, Wayne. And into my that's my opinion on Bitcoin. Good luck. Make a million. <laughs> be happy. Thank you, Wayne. Yeah. Have a good one. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye bye. All righty. That does open the phone line. Eight six six five seven seven. 2473. That's 866 577 2473. Let's head up to Encinitas and speak with John, who's been very, very patient. Good morning, John. You're on the Smart Investor with Brent Chase. How can we help you? Good morning, uh, gentlemen. Appreciate the opportunity. Um, my stock is uh, Rocket RKT. I bought it and sold it a couple of times um, and uh, made a little bit of money here and there. I just can't quite figure out what's going on. It's uh, I think it's in the low 20s right now, and it looks like it's going to make maybe four, $4 this year, so price to earnings of 5 or 6 or something. Um, it's got a crazy huge short percentage, and I'm not in it for that reason, not trying to play the GameStop game or anything. I just don't mm-hmm. understand um, why it's not higher. Um, they are taking market share. It, you know, They are a disruptor from a technology standpoint in the, uh, in the uh, mortgage industry and it just seems like something that should be flying high, like, you know, all of the so, so-called um, you know, new investors uh, and the Reddit community should be on this because it seems like a, a stock they would want, and it makes money, and maybe that's why they don't want it. Anyway, I just would love your <laughs> opinion on it. And, and, and uh, uh, John, now, what do they do? Do you know what they do on El Chase? Mortgages. Oh, they do more? Okay, that's what I was I like. Yeah, I was like, yeah. Rocket, what is Rocket? Right. Rocket Mortgage. Yeah, yeah, mortgage. Yeah, Quicken Loans, Rocket Mortgage. It's the same okay. company. So yeah. Rocket, I think, is their technological interface. Um, and, and the founders, one of them is the Cleveland Cavaliers owner, um, really? still, I don't know the exact percentage, but they still control a crazy amount, high level of the, uh, the outstanding shares. Yet I think the short percentage last time I looked was like 40%. Okay. 
Well, I, I'm seeing here a lack of numbers, and I see the reported earnings were 9.30, so maybe it's because they just reported and they haven't changed the date because I see no P.E. ratio, no price of sales. I do see a book value, not a tangible book value, but uh, the regular book value, uh, which includes tangible assets of 124. That's very expensive. No cash flow, no dividend, no sales mm -hmm. earnings. Uh, total so debt they to just equity. went public in the last six months or so. I don't okay. know if that has anything to do with it, but they've had at least one report that was where they earned a buck twenty-five or something a share, and then the, at least the estimates for the next one that I saw were somewhere in the same range, right about a dollar per share. Yeah, I'm going to turn over to Chase because the only other number I see is debt to equity of eight thousand nine twelve, but they're a mortgage company, so that's going to be kind of they include all the the money that they're loaning. So, Chase, do you have anything going forward on it? Oh, yeah, I'm going to start here uh, just with the, the current price of $20.68, 52-week low $17.50, and 52-week high at $34.42. It, it is a large company. I mean, I, I know they're national. I, like I said, I see them advertised all the time. Their market cap is yeah. quite large at, at $41 billion. And, I mean, I, I see what you're, you're saying here. I mean, I, I go out to next year. So 2021, I do see estimated earnings per share of $1.93. I mean, this – 2020, it was estimated they made 385, so a huge, huge yeah. year. But even at a dollar 93, that would give us a target sale price at 32.04. Now, I think what part of the problem is, and and to let you know, we have a home builder in the portfolio. We believe mm -hmm. that at some point down the road in the next five years, that this real estate market is going to slow down. It, it's just it, it I'd has say to. less than five years. <laughs> yeah. but <laughs> I'm being conservative. Know. You know? <laughs> but I mean, we're kind of balancing this where. Our home builders trading at seven, eight times future earnings. Now, it's a very, very strong number, very, very strong valuation. But we know that this mortgage company and the home building company, they have quite large cyclicality to their businesses, where the earnings could all of a sudden just fall dramatically to where this company now is all of a sudden trading at 30 times earnings at the, the cyclical low. So it's very hard to balance, I think, between the value component but yet knowing that there is an end to this this yeah. real estate boom that we're seeing and the low interest rates that they're benefiting from, I'm sure of, uh, to generate these mortgages. And, and John, we've talked about in the past, and I, I now start hearing other people talking about it. You know, inflation appears to be coming back. Things that restaurants are higher. You know, there's a shortage of some products that's pushing inflation higher. Inflation generally will push interest rates higher, which could cool this whole real estate market as well. So that's the thing you want to keep in the back of your mind that perhaps they're doing very, very well now, but in six months, rates higher, maybe maybe a 10-year treasury. And I think by the end of the year, 10-year treasury be around 1.4%. That could be enough to perhaps slow down the industry a little bit and hurt their earnings going forward. So you, you never know. Be careful. Well, and also, too, yeah, I'd, I'd, be curious, I'd be curious how much of their business comes from refinancing. Oh, yeah. Is because once yeah. we get the increase in interest rates, well, now your pool of people that can refinance gets smaller and smaller. So if they have, let's say, 80% of their business comes from refinances, that could be very problematic as now they're going to have to rely on just people buying new homes, which makes up a smaller portion where their earnings, as I said, could fall quite dramatically. Sure. Yeah. No, totally uh, get that. And I I guess part of the my thesis on it is why I think even with some of that, the slowdown in the market is, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I've read several articles that they keep increasing their market share. Pretty like tech, you know, the things you see on the tech side, they're, you know, they're going up 30% in market, in their portion of the market share each year. Um, and so their growth is, will hopefully stabilize whatever they lose with 
the real estate industry going down. It just it seems like they're just not not being valued for whatever disruption they're doing. Because apparently, I haven't I haven't had needed a a mortgage in a few years. But apparently, you go on the website, and you can get a mortgage, get approved, get everything. It's like six, eight, ten minutes. Whereas the last time I did it, it took a couple of weeks. Right. So, <laughs> and you that, know, that they really sounds, streamlined it. Yeah, and that almost sounds too good to be true. And I haven't done it, so I can't speak for certain. But gosh, it seems like how they're going to prove somebody in eight to ten minutes. I don't know, but but we'll see. The other thing too, you talk about yeah. increasing market share. It's very easy to grow your market share thirty percent when you're very small. But as you grow, sure. get bigger and bigger, that gets harder and harder. So there could be disappointment there. The other thing I, I think you want to look at it as well on, on this company, uh, do they hold those loans or do they sell them off? Because I'm not sure where, how they I do think they, I think they do sell off quite a bit of them. Okay. And then do they use somebody else that they're splitting the money with where they're saying, okay, well, we're going to market it. And, you know, so you really understand this business because I, I am concerned going forward with, with rates and what's going to happen with the market. And there is a shortage of homes out there. But also, too, if rates are rising, people's wages are not going to rise that much, and they're going to kick people out of the market that can afford the homes uh, based on uh, wages not increasing as much. So I'd, I'd be careful with this one. Just And, again, we look at it like our builder. I want to be very careful with it. Yeah, because right? I, I want to say I, I, I think it is very interesting in terms of the business. Yep. I, I'm intrigued by it. it. It definitely still has the value component to it, which we like. But, uh, as you can tell, there's just a lot of questions that we would need to answer before sure. buying it. Right. Um, but I, I wouldn't say no on it. Yeah. At this time. Yeah. yeah. Well, I sold my the larger position that I had at a modest profit, and then I'm buying it back as it's starting to come back down. But um, it, I'll probably continue to play that game until I can get a better feel for it overall, I guess. And I do remember, like, 20 years ago, uh, there was a mortgage company that was a high-flying mortgage company, and all everything was great. And then they fell apart. Uh, and I can't remember the details of it. I just remember it happening because they're just terrible. So that's why when I'm telling you, look very closely at this. Do they hold the loans? Are they selling them? Uh, you know, what is a profit? I mean, you want to be very careful with any business, but, you know, don't, don't get too excited about the hype of it. Understand the business as a whole because it could be potential problems down the road. All right, John? Sure. Appreciate it. Thanks, John. Thanks, Thanks for calling. Bye-bye. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. All righty. Uh, you know, that's so important. I, a lot of times I, I sound maybe negative, and, and, but I want, I, people don't realize when we look at a company, we look for reasons not to buy that company. And I just get too concerned when I hear about things being so good. I mean, growing yeah. every year, I think it was, what do you say, 30% or something. Uh, it, it just concerns me. Is that too good to be true? And, and then we talked about before when that does change. Let's say they grow at 20%, not 30 Oh, well, that's not that good. <laughs> yeah. out, you know, so. um, all right. Uh, you, you know, I looked at, we got, I guess, two Joes from Oceanside. So uh, I'm going to pick one of them. Uh, let's go to, I guess, he put <laughs> Joe number two. Uh, let's go to Joe number two. Joe, you're on the Smart Vegetable, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Good morning, Brent Chase. How you doing? Good. How you doing? I'm doing great. Doing great. Uh, you know, that Rico guy really set off a, a lot of conversation. You know? I didn't know what to take him at first. But I, I enjoyed him, though. I enjoyed him at yeah. the end, you know? Yeah. And, and um, Yeah, I'd, I'd rather wait for the I'd go to the Krispy Kreme and get the donut says that when the red light's on, you know, when the warm ones are coming oh. off the rack. So. <laughs> well, you know, we should have told him that we're done at 10. He can meet us at the front door and give us our donuts. <laughs> yeah. And everybody's chiming in on Bitcoin, you know? I mean, you know, it is becoming more popular with, you know, bigger companies now. And so, you know, it's people think it's gonna go high some people think it's gonna drop to the ground so who knows we'll see yeah, yeah um is. and it's something that again we won't go to bitcoin but it's something that you hear a lot about it but you're hearing a lot of the positive not the negative which uh i think we talked about in a post didn't we chase 
Yeah, we've talked about it a lot. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, people are. How can we help you out, Joe? What, what, what's your concern? What the heck happened to Disney? You know? A little this bit. Week. Or to yesterday, actually. Yeah. I mean, they did great on the streaming, I heard. But again, you got to keep in mind, they still have one major theme park in California that's giving them no money. Uh, their, their movies are coming out, but they're not going to the theaters. They're going to, I mean, I mean I've watched, I think, two or three movies for free on HBO Max. So I, I don't know how they're making any money here. So I, Well, I, now I, they're doing premium access now. So you have to spend extra money on top of it if you want to see the movies that are coming out to theaters now. So. Now, is that Disney or is that HBO Max? No, it's uh, now Disney Plus. Now they have okay. Disney Plus Premium Access. I don't now, have Disney Plus. I, I like HBO. Well, Max. I remember like when Mulan came out. It was like, yeah, you have to have Disney Plus, but just to watch Mulan, it was like twenty five dollars on top of your streaming. Which I mean, I guess you you have a family of four. It's still cheaper than going to the movies, yeah. but yeah. it's like, hey, yeah. I'm paying well, for the they, streaming. They, <laughs> they fell they fell hard yesterday, and a buddy of mine got caught in it. <laughs> and that, and so I, unfortunate for him. And I know that they're expensive. I'm, I'm going to guess they trade at thirty times earnings, maybe higher. Let's take a look. Well, well, I don't know. we got to see what Joe wants. Joe, what do you oh, want? No, no, no. That's not the call. Yeah, that's not what I'm calling. Oh, you know? okay. I hope you know, I don't put your audience to sleep, but I'm calling on a Bank of America, a BAC. Oh, okay, okay. No, why would you put us to sleep on that? I mean, it, we, we like the financials. So let, let, let's I know. See. Banks are good. The banks are good. But everybody, I think, well, I already know what you're going to say about it probably, but I just wanted to hear the you know, fundamentals in more detail. And, and, and do you hold it? That's a big question, Joe. Oh, yeah. No, I hold it. Okay, cool, cool. I I like to hear that you hold. That. I know you. I know you hold some things I don't like. You hold, but I like that to know that you hold Bank of America. Joe just says he always likes to be the devil's well, advocate. Is what he said. I, I can tell you a story too on the GME thing too uh, that happened to me. If uh, you know, if you have time, but the the PME GME GameStop. Oh, GameStop. Yeah, okay. I told you because I yeah because I got in on that and I, I did really well on it. Then I then I lost a lot on it. Yeah, like, you know, but I didn't lose as much as I made. But still, it it uh, it. It, 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 you know, like like Chase was saying, and I knew this, and your audience probably doesn't because they haven't been through it. But like, if you make, I didn't make a million, but if you make a million dollars, like Chase said, and you lose it, it's like you're really bummed because it's like <laughs> that was your million dollars you're thinking, you know? <laughs> you don't think like, hey, I invested ten thousand dollars. You think I had a million? <laughs> yeah, and I went through that. You know, I would probably made like seventy five grand on that and a couple other things. You know, like in four days, and then uh, and then one day, fifty five thousand of it they took from me back on GME when it was, you know, cause I knew not to trade it because I knew it was done, but I thought, I, you know, I think maybe I'll get a few more grand out of this thing. And that, uh, and it took me down. So, <laughs> yep. And we always know but, after it happens, like I knew I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> I mean, I still, I still came out ahead on it, but it's, you know, yeah, you're bummed when you lose everything you kind of already had. Okay. Now, Joe, the big question is, I'm going to move on to bank of America. So are you done now? Or are you going to go back and try it one more time on GameStop? Not not on GameStop. I got into the pot stocks. Flying oh, <laughs> <laughs> high, huh? You keep talking about the taxes and stuff. You know, I'm doing this, all this in a tax-free account, so it's, it's not costing me anything, anything I make. But, but that is your retirement that you're risking, so <laughs> hopefully you're not, you know. I, <laughs> I, I set it up in a way to where I, I padded it pretty good, you know. And, you know, and someday, you know, I've always planned on coming to you guys, you know, throwing 100 Gs your way to just to get in the door. And, uh, you know, but I'd kind of rather wait for that quarterly uh, dinners you guys used to put on comeback. <laughs> well, yeah, hopefully June. That's what we're hoping to do. And, and for people that don't know, that's for clients only that we do the quarterly dinners. And, 
And uh, hopefully, I know a hundred thousand gets you in the door, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. hundred thousand gets you in the door. <laughs> but, gets you those dinners. <laughs> uh, right. But but the thing is that we're worried about is that we have like two hundred clients that show up to that. Is that I'm concerned will it be still social distancing because that may not be able to work that. But let's go to back to Bank of America here because I'm per- sure people are saying, well, what is about Bank of America here? Their symbol is B A C. Uh, PE ratio, I'm kind of high, uh, kind of high here. Seventeen point eight versus fifteen point one. Uh, price of sales 3.4 versus 2.6 price to uh, book value 1.4 same as the industry and price of cash flow 22.8 uh, just slightly ahead of the industry at 21.6 uh, they do pay a 2.2 percent dividend use 28 percent of the earnings to pay that out uh, sales are down 27 percent year over year industry up 1.1 and the earnings for bank of america year over year were down 32 percent and it's down 34 uh, they are a bank, so their balance sheet is a little bit different. No current ratio. Debt to equity, 165 versus 316. Return on equity is 6.7 versus 7.6. Net profit margin checks in at a very good number here, 21 uh, above the industry of 17. Uh, Chase, what are the earnings going forward for Bank of America? Well, start current price here is $33.37, 52-week high, $35.08, and 52-week low, $17.95. I was going to say the P.E. does look a little bit high because of all those loan loss reserves that they had to take. So now they had a full year of that that it's kind of hurting their earnings, which, of course, hurts the P.E. ratio. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to go out to December 2022 since now we're looking out there. We do see estimated earnings per share of $2.83 would give us a target sell price of $46.98 and kind of pointing out what their earnings have looked like. 2020, they made $1.87, again, due to all those loan loss reserves. 2021, they estimated $2.42, then 2022, and $2.83. So as we come out of this this COVID crisis, that's why we like the financials. They're going to start taking off those loan loss reserves. As that happens, they'll hopefully increase their buybacks again, get back to paying more in dividends. I, I think it, it's a, a good story here over the next few years. Yeah, and, and Joe, what you want to do is kind of look at the loan loss reversals that are going to be coming up and what their loan loss is actually now because that's going to be the big factor, I think, going forward for the next oh, two, three, four quarters where they start reversing some of those loan losses, and it's going to really, I think, boom their income. So I, I'm not sure what it is total on Bank of America. I, I assume it's probably pretty high, but um, that would be an important factor. Yep. So. Already? Well, I hope so because the fundamentals sound a little mixed, but uh, you know, at least the tenure ticked up to 1.2 now, and so yep. that should help. Yep. So, well, Joe, thanks for calling. Okay. As always, good to talk to you. All right. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. All right. I think we got time for one more. I guess so. Let's let's try one more. Let's go down to yeah. Uh, uh, Brent just give me the, the one finger. So uh, yeah, one more. No. no are you saying cut it? You're saying. <laughs> I gave you a thumbs up. Sorry. Oh, thumbs up. I thought that was our one finger. Well, if we so. keep talking, we're not going to have time. So <laughs> let's go to the call. Let's go to the call. Let's go to Chula Vista and speak with Brian. Brian, you're on this morning best show with Brent Chase. How can we help you? Hey, how you guys doing? Good. How you doing? I'm interested in uh, Biogen. Okay. Do you hold that or looking to buy it? I hold it. Hold it for a long time. Uh, how long is a long time? Uh, when it was three dollars a share. Oh okay. wow! Okay. Oh, long. so a short-term <laughs> investor, huh? <laughs> exactly. Well, I've, I've sold along the way, definitely, but uh, a lot of action right now. Okay. Well, let's take a uh, Biogen Incorporated symbol is B I I B. Uh, we do see a PE ratio of eleven point four versus not material for the industry. Price of sales three point two versus thirteen. That's very good. Price to book value, well, that's twenty two point nine. That is above the industry at fourteen. But we do see price of cash was 9.4 versus not material for the industry. 
Now, they do not pay a dividend. We do. I thought they paid a dividend. Nope. Nope, do not pay a dividend. Okay, I didn't make sure that was right. Uh, we do say sales are down 6.5% year-over-year. Industry up 133 Earnings per share fell by 22% year-over-year for the last 12 months. Industry was up 35 the balance sheet looks pretty good. Current ratio 1.8 versus 4.1. Debt to equity is 69. That's okay. It is above the initial 48, but 69, no problem there. Return equity is very good. 33 versus 20 for the industry. Net profit margin also looking very good. 30.2 versus a negative 27.7. And receivable turnover is 5.6 versus 4.8. And inventory turnover is 1.9. Versus 2.1. Chase, what do you got for earnings going forward? Yeah, so current price here for Biogen, $278.03. 52-week high at $363.92. And that 52-week low was $223.25. I go out to December 2022. I do see estimated earnings per share of $20.28. Would give us a target sell price of $336.65. Now, one thing we do know with Biogen is they have a lot riding on this Alzheimer's drug that is currently yep. under review by the FDA that just got extended through June. So they have a huge range on that estimate. The high is $28.13 and the low is $16.06. Uh, I will say my, my personal opinion on it is uh, at the current price, it's okay. Uh, a few weeks ago, I think there was a lot more upside potential than downside potential yep. on that drug. So current price, I, I'm a little bit worried about buying it here is my concern. But if you hold it, I, I don't think I would sell it at this rate. And, and Brian, how much does it make up on your portfolio? You've held it for a long time. Is it a big part of your portfolio? Uh, under 10%. Under 10%? That, that might be under, yeah, under, under. yeah. So, and I'm going to say 9.9, .9, maybe 9.5. That could be a little bit concerning to me because they do have a lot riding on this Alzheimer's drug. If it comes through, it's going to do phenomenal. You're going to become very rich. We'll put it that way. But if it doesn't come through, it's going to hurt you to where it won't be nine percent of your portfolio. It could be five or six. So it's 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 a concern yep. that I have. Yep. So just understand the risk that you're taking. I've always liked the way they've run the company, and I think that just in the biotech space, someone could buy them, and I think it's a bargain. But yeah, I it's a risk. It's risky. Yeah, yeah. There, there it's some, risky. I, I'd say there's some short-term risk to it. What do you think, Chase? Yeah, I mean, short-term, yeah. we'll see what happens. I, I think, but a lot of their pipeline is undervalued. Kind of, you said they could be an acquisition target if the uh, Dunacom or whatever you want to say, the Alzheimer drug. Right. I hate those biotechs are so hard but uh you know i, I think right. you're right there's a lot of kind of stuff in their pipeline that that has potential as well yeah, yeah right, well, and eli Lilly just uh, had a new uh similar type drug but it's only in phase two yeah. and they would also be one that would probably buy them but anyway all right thanks brian have a good one thanks for calling bye-bye all thanks well, Chase, which is about done. What a great show today. I mean, we got a great, great college as always, and and a lot of good stuff. And uh, I, I can't believe two hours gone already. I know two hours goes quick. I mean, did the one hour show for so long, and I was like, wow, two hours goes just as quick. Maybe we should do three. I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think I can stay <laughs> in the restroom for three hours and still drink water. And so <laughs> there's the closing bell. Well, thank you for listening to the Smart Investing Show. It is for informational purposes only and should not be used as investment advice. If you'd like to discuss in more detail your investment needs or have other investment questions, feel free to call myself Brent Wilsey or Chase Wilsey at 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. Or visit our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That is smartinvesting2000.com. And for more daily educational information on investment tips, go to our Facebook page, Smart Investing with Brent and Chase Wilsey. Today's show is sponsored in part by Thompson Reuters. 
closing song. Frank Sinatra's My Way is performed by local entertainer Roman Palacios. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to Smart Investing Show. We'll be back next week. Did all that. And may I say, not in a shock. This program is sponsored by Wilsey Asset Management.